fly through space. Rescue cats. Score big points. Download Per Rocket for free today. Visit www.perrocket.com. Hi, my name's Cartoon Penguin, and I'm a part of Shocknet's development team, and I listen to 1UP Gaming Podcast. Hi, this is uh, Kermit the Frog here, along with Miss Piggy. Hi! Alright, and we are just uh, asking you to listen to our friend's podcast, the 1UP Gaming Podcast, on whatever this station is. Um, and remember to uh, go green and conserve lots of energy. Hello everybody and welcome to the One Up Gaming Podcast, episode 178. Now I'm feeling a little bit better, not a great deal better, but um at the towards the end of my week long holiday and unfortunately when I'm out and about I don't actually have the means to invite the rest of the team on and do a recording and edit it all so I've just quickly cobbled this together from old podcasts and old segments. I say that but <coughs> Sorry about that, but the beginning bits are all just the old intros from other bits and bobs that we've got, and I'm going to put on the second part of our um, 100th podcast special, which was recorded over two days. It's about five hours long, I think, the whole thing in the end, um, but this is part two, so this will be where we talk to John Hare. I can't remember if, I've had, if we had any other guests on at the time or not, or whether if it was just... John Hare itself, or should I say himself, he's not an it, um, and that'll be it, so I will just say, Justin, do you want to do our quick advert again, and then we will be straight on with the 100th Part 2 podcast special, so thank you, Justin. Hey guys, Justin here. I wanted to take a minute to talk to you about this thing we're really getting into here at One of Gaming. It's called the Eagle Box, and it's a tiny Android console that with a high-quality wireless controller, connects to your TV via HDMI, and then it gives you instant access to all kinds of retro games. It comes pre-installed with uh, Android TV and the movie apps and all the fun stuff like Kodi that you would expect from an Android box. But in addition to that, I mean, this is like me going off and saying, but wait, there's more! It can play PS1, MAME, Dreamcast, N64, Neo Geo, Atari, NES, SNES, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, Sega Master System, Sega Mega Drive, or, you know, Sega Genesis back in the real world, what do you want to call it, Commodore 64, Amiga, ZX Spectrum, you know, I mean, I could go on for days with the amount of games that this thing can play. And if, by chance you happen to run out of memory, it, it, it has an expandable memory slot too, so you can keep adding on to your game library if that's your thing. Unlike a lot of these uh, other Android-based consoles out there, it supports up to 1080p, it includes a TV remote, and I, got, I can't I mean, I can't speak highly enough about this thing. It, it does everything you'd want it to, and it's a media device too. So, if you're into quality retro gaming, and, I, and you know, I know, we, you know, Nintendo has this, uh, you know, NES Classic console coming out in November, and it's going to be 60 bucks US or whatever, but you can start now. I mean, you could play these games on your TV right now, rather than having to wait, and probably not even be able to get a unit, you know, one of those NES Classic consoles due to, you know, sheer nostalgic demand. I mean, the pre-orders are going to be crazy. Why go through that 
when you can get an Eagle Box from 1UP Gaming right now and start playing those classic games right now. And then when you're done playing, playing games, I mean, you could watch movies and do a host of other things media related all in one device. It comes with the, with the wireless controller. It comes with the TV remote. And you can you know, record live TV if you want. I mean, this is one of these things it does. It's, you know, it, it, it's a full media device. It can record virtually anything you think, anything you want to do on Android, you can do on here because it is a full Android device. And for those of you familiar with Kodi, it comes with that pre-installed. So go to One Up Gaming, go to our website, okay? Check it out and get yourself an Eagle Box. Don't bother going to eBay. You know, who knows what's going to be there? If <laughs> I mean, you never know what you're getting out of eBay. I mean, how many times have I been burned? I can't even count the times that I've been burned through eBay. But know that you're getting a quality device through One Up Gaming that's going to do all your retro games and some fairly modern ones too and all your media stuff too right in your living room right now no need to wait so go to the one of gaming website check it out and i think you'll like it anyway back to the show hey guys justin here i wanted to take a moment to congratulate the guys at one up gaming for a massive 100 episodes that's over two years of keeping it consistent and keeping it real Plenty of podcasts have come and gone in those two years, but you kept it strong the whole time. So thanks for everything. <laughs> it's Conte. It's Congratulations, yo. Celebrating history with the 100th episode. Going hard today, Mocha on the track with me. One up gaming here to stay. It's one up gaming. Yeah, y'all. That's what we're claiming. It's the 100th episode. Yeah, y'all. Listen up, here comes the whole 100th episode. Hi, and we're back with part two of the One Up Game podcast, episode 100, live special. It's still me, David, with... Who else have we got? <laughs> nice. I guess nice. we've got Zach. I'm back. I'm here. We're all good. Um, yeah. The Twitch after, stream is going, so that's that's good. After last night's marathon session... It's bloody hell, so long. Yeah, of. I think we're going to have to chop that down a hell of a lot because I had it all planned for about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes with all the links. And then tonight, an hour to make a, a good two-hour two special podcast. Perhaps we should like uh, keep some of it for like if there's a week where we can't do it for, for whatever reason. And like bonus extra special podcast or something. But last night we recorded for was it three hours twenty minutes. Exactly, that's enough for three podcasts. <laughs> actually, I think I've got to talk about this. I'm actually getting a new phone. Oh, wait, before, yeah. before you say that, specifically, before you say that, and we've also got Eddie. <laughs> Yay! See? Eddie's here. more. When you said now uh, we have Eddie, twenty more people just started listening. <laughs> 
And we will also have a special guest on tonight. Don't say his name. Santa Claus. I've been tweeting Damn it. it so. <laughs> you tweeted Santa Claus? Yeah. Well, Damn it, Saint, Saint Nicholas. Why? 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 Why would you ruin the surprise? <laughs> oh, Sorry, I just dear. can't. I'm just. I just. I'm bad. I'm awful with these kind of things. I just can't help but just words just splurge out my mouth when I'm trying to keep a secret. So Zachary, we all, we all love Santa Claus. But come on. Yes, that's me. Can you double check that we're on Twitch? We are on Twitch. Thank it's you. Okay. It's all going well. Because I've sourced a second TV. For, so basically, right now, wait, let me just move my camera. So right now I've got this old TV right here, which I use. And then I've also sourced a second TV there, which is right next to all my microphone and stuff. So basically, right. what I can do in the future is actually have all the streaming stuff on one screen and all the written stuff on the other screen so I don't get them all mixed up and... Jumbled. Right, cool. Yeah. Whereas at the moment, I've got to have everything split half, half on the screen and I've got to make sure nothing goes on the right-hand side because that's a live window and anything goes on that side, that's what streams, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It makes as much sense as it can at this point. <laughs> Reckon. Tell you what, I've got a bloody headache. Oh. I think I've been doing too much work. Too much work? Yeah. So, I guess, being our 100th podcast, I will... Oh, that's another thing. It keeps disappearing on the stream when I do stuff. I will put up a link to sort of... See if anyone wants any games. Uh, and How many have we got left? I was just about to have a look. And what link? Like, you have to tell them what they're going to get. Yeah. Let them know. Where the It's not like anything AAA. Right, so what we... Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> now you, you told them that it's nothing AAA, they just, like, switched right off. Right then. So, yeah. what, what, Everyone what we can. have... <laughs> What we have left is the Omega Quintet for PS4. And I think, Zach, you looked into that. And is it like a Japanese role-playing it's game? It's a Japanese RPG, yep. Yep. So that's thanks to Reef Entertainment. We have Kitty Powers Matchmaker. And we've got the Channel House Trilogy. And that's thanks to Master Tonic. We still have two postal two keys, so that's thanks to running with scissors. And we've got four keys for Pixel Heroes Biting Magic, so that's thanks to Head Up Games. We have some Microsoft goodie bags, which we don't know what's in them because they haven't sent them yet. So hopefully we'll get them, and if anyone does want one, we'll send one out for you. And as this is a... Special, we've also got the Amiga uh, Visual Compendium. Have you decided how, how we're going to... To give away? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really sure yet, because it's a big, heavy book, and it's going to be expensive. I feel like it should be something special. It should be something weighty. Mm. Someone has to work for it. I don't know. A riddle. <laughs> a riddle. Yeah. 
Is it rain? Oh, wait there. Um, I've oh, gone yeah. to... <laughs> I've gone to my... Tweets. So people actually tweeted when I was actually asleep. Someone... T- I saw your retweet. Someone said, my bank account. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Always goes down, never goes up. Brilliant. That was funny. <laughs> and he put a little um, sad face on the end of it. It was like, oh. He yeah, should win, but, he's not, but he didn't. Technically, yeah, he, he should win, but unfortunately he didn't get it right. Yeah, so Connor Smith, he put my bank balance. <laughs> Brilliant. Mino squad, he put Des Nuts, which I have no idea. Des Nuts? Yeah. It's these nuts. E- oh, okay. That makes, that, that makes much more sense. Yeah. <laughs> makes so much more sense. It does. So I, yeah. I believe our special guest has arrived. How's he there? Or is he just trolling us? John, are you there? That's going well, isn't it? Because <laughs> <laughs> this never happens. <laughs> this doesn't happen. Like, this never, this happen never happens with Skype. This this doesn't happen usually. But to be fair, I think we're gonna have to because I think Zach, I think you've got the best broadband out of all of us. Uh, yeah, I think so. So it might be because my broadband, the download's good, but the upload is absolute crap. Mike is muted. Ah, well, we don't want Mike. We want John. <laughs> Sorry, that was really. <laughs> That's really bad. Oh my god. David, I'm going to say this, and I don't want you to take it the wrong way, but you shouldn't say words. (laughs) They're awful jokes or racist. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's keep the words. Let's keep the words inside. inside. So, what you're saying is, I should have been born in the 20s and then I'd be perfectly sound. Yes. You know. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Maybe colonial America. If you were born in the twenties, you would have been great. Right now, no, <laughs> absolutely not. <sighs> David and his casual racism. Nothing casual about it. I try hard at it. <laughs> Whoa! <And it's> still- <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> He tries really hard and he always goes badly. Oh no. He can never make a good one. That's what insults me. <laughs> even, the racism doesn't offend me. It's the bad jokes, my good friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, can oh, be, wow. you can be you can be a funny racist. And that's everyone loves a funny racist. No one like no one likes an unfunny racist. Nobody. Look at Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Racist and hilarious. Everyone loves him. But if it was unfunny, it would be sad. No one likes unfunny racist quality. That's, that should go on a t-shirt. That's got to be a t-shirt quote. Yeah. Hey, that uh, might go on one of my t-shirts. We need to get... A t- okay, we need to make a t-shirt. And this is a t-shirt idea. Just putting it out there. I'm a funny racist. I am a funny big, racist. Bold letter, just big bold letters on the front and the back. I'm a funny racist. Should the emphasis be on funny or racist or both? Funny. 
Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So, I'm a funny and then racist and really small <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you're a funny what? A funny what? You have to. You'd have to look closer. Yeah. I God. still want people to have the balls and actually buy a T-shirt that says "It's okay, I can say the N-word." I didn't even think. I didn't even know those existed. They do in my head. A lot exists in your head. That's, that's a scary <laughs> thing. You're quite right. You are quite right. So, while we await John, mm. we... I didn't really have nothing written down. <laughs> Therefore, so, should we just... Eddie? Yes? How are you? I'm good. What have you been playing? Uh, what did you play today? Oh, I did something epic today. What is that? That's a good story. Oh, um, we've got some movement, I think. Well, too late. It has to wait. On, movement yeah. waits for the story, damn it. I, made, I, I changed my Wi-Fi name from Ooh. whatever BT it is. I changed it to Punch It Chewy. <laughs> Are you one of these me, really sad lame Star Wars wannabe It took me an hour and a half to do. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> And it was an hour and a half well spent. <laughs> you've de- you've depressed me with that story. It's okay, Eddie. Hi, John. Is mic still muted? <laughs> Your mic is muted, but we can see you. Yeah. This is this is good for anyone who can lip read, <laughs> but I can't lip read. <laughs> I don't think we. I don't think anyone on here can lip read. I, I have something funny to say. Unless about we can just we can have to get John to type everything. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, but that defeats the object of the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right, the audio, the, just the audio podcast would be awful. You have to David. watch the video podcast. Oh wait, David, David, I want you to do something for me. Yes. Okay, Seeing how you are the offensive joke man of the <laughs> podcast, I want you to tell me if this would be like inappropriate to say to John Hare. What? His name is John Hare, but his okay. hairline's receding. It's a very weird play on words. <laughs> <laughs> and I love seeing that he's just nodding like I've heard that one before. Like he, you are not oh. the first. Every family dinner that comes up. <laughs> <laughs> like the hair Eddie, men Eddie, have long hair. do you remember Eddie. when you spoke to Matt Small and now they won't actually talk to us anymore yeah right <laughs> remember that <laughs> hey <laughs> let's not bring up your wonderful interviews okay? let's not bring up your wonderful interviews oh that was with Lucy James oh that, exactly. was, a, that was a great one Oh yeah, because she came back, didn't she? That, we had another interview, didn't we? No, I don't remember that. So, ha ha. All I asked her was what was a lipstick she used. You don't ask that. You never ask that. This is the creepiest thing to ask. 
I could have asked. The thing is also, also David, because you don't have that thing in your mind that tells you not to say things. You probably asked it in a really pervy way. <laughs> How did you say it? How did you say it? I can get the podcast up and play if you want. Oh, Lucy James, I saw you on Twitter. You was speaking about your lipstick. <laughs> yes, I was, I was looking at your Twitter. I was looking at your Twitter and I saw that you were talking about lipstick. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's not creepy. It's not creepy at all because psh, who isn't weirded out by a weird man asking about their lipstick? <laughs> Nobody. He's also t- Nobody. stalking your Twitter profile. <laughs> I'm just watching your Twitter. Uh, John, if you can hear, me, and uh, there's a settings thing at the top, and sometimes the microphone or defaults to something that isn't the one you're using. If that makes any sense. Right, we heard noise there. We heard like the slightest bit of noise. I think that might have been me laughing. Sorry. <laughs> Can you hear something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. You can hear it. No. Yep. Yes. Hi, John. You can hear still. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yep. Good. Okay. Cool. There were five options for the microphone that required going in, going out, saving it, blah blah blah. Yeah. It was the last yeah. one. So there you go. There you go. Okay. After all that, hi John. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Oh, no, it's only like half eight now. We only lost half an hour. That's okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, fine. It's fine. fine. Don't worry about it. Yesterday, we were supposed to be on from nine till about quarter past ten. Uh huh. We actually finished at about one o'clock. <laughs> oh, okay. You're warning me, eh? Could be a so, long <laughs> Well, the podcast yesterday recorded for I think it was. Oh, God, what the hell was it? Did I say three hours, 20-odd minutes? Three and a half hours, I think it was. Yeah, Yeah, three and a half hours. Okay, Okay, let me just shut the door then. Hang on. Yeah, Yeah, we thought we'd make it special, the uh, 100th podcast. Why not? We couldn't couldn't think of how to make it special, so we just made it long. Make it long, yeah. Build it up. (laughs) It'll be fun though when people download it, it's like a six hour podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, as long as we've got, we've got backup for, for the event that we can't actually do on for one week for whatever reason. If we can't do it, we have spares. Yeah? Alright, okay, that's good. I like the um, Sensi Soccer picture on your wall, it's very good. Oh, that one up there? Yeah. Yeah, I bought it at some. I think it was. Oh god, where the hell was it? <laughs> Wolverhampton. Wh- whatever events in Wolverhampton. Uh, football matches occasionally, if you can call them. Yeah, that. no, it was um, <laughs> revi- Revival. Oh, I went okay. to Revival. Oh, I, know. I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah. Chris Wilkins. Oh, oh well, Wilkins. yeah, I know, yeah. I know like yeah. yeah. Every time we went to talk to him, he was always eating an ice cream. What? An ice cream, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he said, come and chat to him. He'd get us like, interviews with... I've completely blanked on him. The guy who did John Romero. Oh, and yeah, but every time man. we went to talk to him, he, he was always had a big, massive face full of ice cream. So, yes. 
Just leave yeah, him. <laughs> so. Oh, you've got the book as well. I can see the Scentsy book. And <laughs> I'm looking at all your stuff in the background now. Very good. Have you, have you seen that really retro TV? Megalomania as well. Um, where's your retro TV? But it's just this. What's <laughs> like, it's literally there. Oh, that way. So that's the <laughs> corner of a retro TV. It's a corner. It's no, no. It's just. It's oh, just, there. I see what you mean. Yeah, I see what you mean. They're like monetary thing. Yeah, got it. It's. I only have it because I need to play light gun games because they're one of my favourite games, and they don't work on the modern flat screen monitors. So you have to have an old CRT. Oh, you have to get the things. old monitors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why do they not work on Monday flat screens? It's the way the picture's done on the TV, I think. I don't know. Ah. Let me ask you something else. Why don't um, iOS 5 games work properly on iOS 6? Because they deliberately build in. They don't care about um, compatibility backwards and forwards, these companies, in general. Okay. Is there a reason? Because yeah. they make more money from hardware by making it not work. Yeah. Yep. My, my eternal moan. <laughs> yeah, get, that's exactly. why we get so many games that are the same again and again because they have to be remade for machines. It's a good excuse yeah. to do it again, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Nintendo's the, the master at that. Huh? Nintendo's the master at that. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, come on. Every time it comes out, I buy it. <laughs> it's, it's actually a disease, really. I think that's more sad than it is funny. <laughs> I think that's more sad than it is funny. So, guys, what do you want to talk about? Right then, John, since you're here, uh-huh. um, a couple of things, nothing mm-hmm. major. I mean, I mm-hmm. guess, first of all, what have we been up to since the last we chatted, which was just before the launch of Word Explorer? Okay, so Word Explorer came out on iOS in, I think it was August last year. No, was it August? No, it was a bit earlier than that. Earlier on in the year. And then it came out on PC in around about September. Um, and it reviewed extremely well, especially on iOS. We got 1,500 reviews, about 4.7 stars. But it's one of the games that's not made any money on free-to-play. So I'm down on free-to-play at the moment. I don't like it very much. Um, My brother, he is one of these people that if you can't do anything, you just bash his buttons and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he accidentally give you one pound. Give me a pound? He was like <laughs> trying to solve a puzzle and dabbing the buttons in the screen. And he must have hit the plane or whatever and he just, you know. <laughs> Brilliant. So, Brilliant. yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't impressed. You know? <laughs> no, no. But it was good. Good trick from us, you know? Stealing money back from the customers to get games. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's what it's turned into, the farce of free games, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you guys think it was better when you paid for games and then you yeah. had no money mm. inside? Most definitely. It was it was simpler. It wasn't like a... It, things weren't hidden behind the paywall. Yeah. You wouldn't have to be like, oh... You can get all of these things in game, but if you want to get it faster, here's a boost. Just give us a pound. It's that type of thing. They they want that. So, so gaming back then was simpler, but I think it's given more advantages that what you can do in a game as well. So like what you can put inside a game. 
uh, I think a good example is like uh, War of Tanks. Well, tanks, War of Tanks, mm-hmm. yeah. the tank game by uh, Wargaming. That's a good example because they have a lot of things that you need money, f- like you can pay real money for. You can just wait and get it in game. So it's good when it's balanced. It's bad when it's not. This Again, is the it's problem. Like a perspective thing. The, the problem with for game makers is when you've got paid content and some people are paying and some people aren't, it's very hard to balance the game because you don't know um, which people you're catering for. In, in, a, in a game that doesn't have that problem, you can absolutely tune levels to be perfect, 100% knowing where the player is. You know, Has he bought certain things or not? What his skill level is because he's got to that place in the first place. So it's made it much harder to balance levels actually as well. I mean, to me, the best platform that I believe so far has been the old Xbox Live Arcade, where every single game you could play a demo, Mm -hmm. everything. So you can play anything you want for free, and if you like it, you buy it. Mm -hmm. So everything comes with a demo, so you just download it, play it for 10 minutes. If you like it, pay a tenner. If you don't like it, just delete it. Under no... You know, you don't have to. You know, you're not. Whereas a lot of games now, like on the Xbox One, it's there's no option for that. It's like you basically buy it, or you just watch some videos of it, and that's it. So you don't know what you're getting until you've already paid your money, which is sometimes it's not great. I think um, Dota, Dota does it very, very well, but. They've built this up over years and years and years through community feedback, and it's very hard for a publisher to just go, we want to be a part of that. So then they try to build it in a matter of months or a year, put it out, and can't quite nick the audience from Dota because they've constantly made a game that was originally a mod for Warcraft 3, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've constantly tuned it and tuned it and tuned it and tuned it and tuned it. And whenever you buy something, it's it doesn't actually affect the game. It's all, uh, it's just like clothes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you've played it for if you play it for ten hours and think, I think I'll buy like a hat for my character because I've played the game for ten hours. I feel like I should give something back. Before say like EA to just jump in on it, it's very difficult. It's that makes any experience. Sense. Yeah, but. Uh, I don't know, I, I think you, you talked about not knowing what something was before you bought it oh, but that used saying, to be normal right? that used to be totally normal you'd buy uh, a book, you wouldn't really know you'd buy a game, you wouldn't know what it was it's, it's gone quite kind of quite weird where it's almost it's, it's almost introduced this process also because a lot of the games in the market are totally bloody useless as well which doesn't help that's why you're not sure um, whether you want to buy it or not, you know? Right? Because, I mean, like, I just got the... Oh, God, what the hell was it called? State of Decay Year One Edition for the Xbox One. Mm-hmm. And it's basically it's just an open-world zombie game, which is great. But they still haven't ironed out any of the frame rate issues or loading stutters and things like that, which is, like... I don't mind it so much because it's a tiny team and all they've done is like, up-res it to basically have the 
PC version on your Xbox One. And because I already had it on the 360, I got it, instead of it being like £25, it was like £13. Uh-huh. So they actually dropped the price down. But I mean, at, in my opinion, that game should be running perfect without any frame rate issues. The, the, the real question is, if you look at the old games, particularly if you go back to Commodore 64 uh, and, and Amiga to an extent, we didn't really have buggy games put out. You didn't rely on patches to mend the games. It only sort of came into fashion in the 90s with PC stuff because PC was such a mess in those days. Um, and people kind of have latched onto that and, and now people think it's normal to put out something buggy, get the uh, users play it and then patch it and stuff. And it, it's all got very messy. I, I, I much prefer Nintendo's approach, which is you don't put it out until it's, until it's bang on right. I know it's... it's, it's hot. Nintendo have been too difficult for developers to work with. They've been a nightmare for us to work with because they're very hard to get through. Um, but certainly Sony have managed it quite well, actually, in balance, somewhere in the middle, you know? They're not a, a total nightmare to get through, but generally there's not that many broken games that come out on Sony platforms. You've yeah. had some betting, right? Yeah. I, I, to be honest, hmm. since the PS4 and the Xbox One... I think it's pretty even keel of broken games on both platforms. Right, okay. You know do, you I mean? be, do you think it would be better to have games guaranteed to be of more uh, quality in terms of their technical delivery, but to also have everything paid? Would that be a better balance? What I think the developers or the publishers, I guess it's their fault, they should not come out two years in advance and say our game is September the 5th in two years' time. They should say, this is our new game, look at the teaser trailer. It'll be coming in a couple of years. And then once it gets to about six months of, out of where they think it'll be, then they can start the, the hype machine. I just think that the hype starts way too early. I mean, look at, was it Bioshock Infinite, where the teaser trailer came out and the game wasn't due for another three years. Mm-hmm. Which is just like... That's stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting because also it's a very different strategy to what people used to use. We would talk about games, but not really begin what we'd call you know preview stuff until six months before launch, um, which means you're a bit safer because you've got a bit more development done behind you to know that it's going to be there or thereabouts. You know, um, I don't know why that's happened. There must be a reason why they felt the need to push and hype things. I think, again, it all goes down to the shareholders and the publishers. They want to know how many pre-orders are coming in. So they can sort of say, in a year's time, oh, we're getting twice as many pre-orders, we will allocate you another couple of thousand or a couple of million pound. Whereas They might need to be showing to people putting money in that they're doing something even if it's yeah. actually detrimental to the flow of the game. But, you know, if you look at the, the world of mobile games and cheap downloadable games, we've got the opposite problem. In the, For Kickstarter projects, yes, you get publicity up front because you need it, right, because it helps to generate the money to get the development going. But in general, there's no press and preview work done on mobile stuff. There's too little compared to what it used to be. We've got a very polarised world we're living in at the moment with different formats. It's never been this polarised. Yeah. Strange, a bit of a strange time, really. I think it doesn't help as well with now the trend of series like Call of Duty, 
Assassin's Creed all going for the there has to be a game every year. Because yeah. if the game isn't ready when it's when it's come that year, they can't push it back too far because otherwise their approach of having a game every year then falls to pieces. I would imagine their financial year would be destroyed if they didn't yeah. get that game every year. Yeah. It's kind of you know these big games have become the total backbone of the company. They're, you know, they're, I know even when when we had sensible soccer. Um, Sensible Soccer was always what financially was propping us up for about the last six or seven years of Sensible because it's reliable. And you have to get that game out every year. In yeah. a football game, it works quite naturally to do it at the start of every season. But, um, yeah, I'd imagine that's what's happening. They've, they've come hell or high water, they've got to do it. And, and to be honest, the problem with those games is they don't change that much, really. It's, yeah, it, it, does, it does sort of stagnate the whole... Uh, improvement of video games it's just it becomes more what uh what different tweak can we have add to it this time or you this know, time it has jetpacks this time it has a gun that shoots through walls or something like that every, it's, every year I, I, i'm on the bafta jury i have been for the last five or six years uh normally chairing it so that means you everyone votes and you sit there and collect all the votes and find out who the winner is and put it in the envelope it's a really fun job that you do before it gets announced <laughs> uh, anyway, the last few years, I've been diff- doing different awards like music awards or family game or sports game or game design or sound or something like this. Okay, mm-hmm. and and this year I was involved in the uh, music jury. Okay, and the previous year I think I was involved in game design or art or so I can't remember what it was. Some sound, something, something else. Anyway. Anyway, we came. There's, there's some games which always turn up basically for us to evaluate. Out of the, we, we're given about between ten and twelve games to evaluate to get down to the six nominations. And there's some ones which always turn up, like Assassin's Creed is one. In virtually every award, you're going to see it, apart from maybe sports game. Um, uh, GTA, which is there in every award, apart from family game and sports game. And so you've got some that always turn up, okay? And when I played GTA this year, and I don't normally play these games in the year, I play them in this battle evaluation period. It's my chance to really get into top-end console stuff, which is good every year. But I actually had to ask a question when we sat around the jury, because for the first two hours, the game was identical. Identical to the previous year. No difference at all. Because it's all the intro sequence. I mean, it's, it's good, but it hadn't changed. So my question was, okay, we're evaluating the 2014 award. How do we evaluate the bit that's identical to the 2013 version? Do we give it any marks at all, or, or what? You know, how do we evaluate it? So what I've noticed over time of doing this, in the end we decided that you look at the stuff which is new as opposed to the stuff which has already been there before. Now in GTA's case, because it's music and there's a lot of music and there's a lot of new music, it's quite valid to look at the new music they've put in the, the main part of the game and the radio and everything. You know. um, Although you would say their use of music hasn't changed at all. They're not doing anything innovative in music they've not done before. Um, some people do some amazing stuff with music uh, in, in other games, more obscure ones. Um, but the question, what it makes you realise when you play them one after the other, the other to evaluate them, not being a particular fan of this game, we're going to say, is how same it is. And it does make me wonder why, why the consumers continue to go back to the game and buy the next year's one when they bought the last two or three, even if they really liked it. Well, what is the reason for that? 
I've got to say, you're asking the wrong person with me because I hate Assassin's Creed. I hate Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it makes sense. I don't like Destiny. I mean, I guess, I guess the um, the casual market has become huge in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like Call of Duty. You would never. The Call of Duty developers never make a Call of Duty game for someone who loves tabletop RPGs. They would mm-hmm. play it for the person who goes to work, maybe comes back for an hour to play a bit of stick, jump on their PlayStation 4, shoot a few yeah. people, yay, all dinner, and then uh, and do it, go off and do other things. And with this, especially with consoles, you could go into any con- you could go into any household nowadays. And you'd probably find an Xbox or a PlayStation 4. Mm. So it seems it's much more businessy. Again, it's like that that thing about having uh, the the year, the game every year. You have to get that game every year because it has lots of gets lots of lots of money. Well, Not because it's yeah. a good game. Yeah, but, but they but they sell that game every year because lots of people buy it. Yeah, that's my question. Yeah. they wouldn't keep on selling another version if people weren't buying it. And, and these are all great games. I'm not slagging the games off. I'm saying, why are people playing the same game again with a tiny bit of difference? Yeah. I don't get, you know? Yeah. I don't get what, what the difference is. The main problem is, a lot of these games, they're only popular because all their friends at school play it. So everyone has to play that game. Mm-hmm. You know, so basically that's it's why... A very, it's a very social thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, that's why it's Call of Duty, Assassin's Creed. It's the basic... It's, it's the games that are not brilliant. They might have been good when they first started, but because they've... You know, look at Assassin's Creed. It's had seven years, and they've maybe improved the formula once, and that was from Assassin's Creed to Assassin's Creed 2. Um, once uh-huh. they hit that sweet spot... It's basically stagnated the gameplay. The game looks a lot better, but the game plays exactly as it did. Well, I, I saw a speech by the by Patrice, who was the, the lead designer of Assassin's Creed, a uh, couple of weeks ago in a uh, thing I went no last weekend actually in Dubrovnik, and uh, he seemed frustrated himself from his perspective. <laughs> you no, know? and he's not he's not involved in the game anymore. He's not been involved yeah. for a year, year or so, year or two. Um, which just proves the point, you know. I, I, as someone running sensible, I couldn't bear someone to be making my game. A bit like how I feel, I guess, about the last Cannon Fodder Three, which came out. With, I had nothing to do with it. Um, it's strange how people kind of think the license can carry itself, but it doesn't. It loses something in the end. I think. Ruckus, you wanted to say something. What were you going to say? I saw you going to speak. Um, it's not about. It's not. It's less about like a social element to the game. And it's more about the small differences. Like, mm-hmm. alright, because everyone's saying how the casual market is the reason that they make Call of like, they is the way they're pointing Call of Duty. But that's the thing. The serious people about Call of Duty will buy the next game because there's a 0.3 second difference in the gun that they love. Or that a map that they are excited about has... A small has a small, like a uh, remade map has a small difference in it. Like there's a new hideaway, or one of the gaps are are just a few pixels bigger. 
like it's it's more about the small differences that matter to the individual and if enough individuals find these small differences appealing then they will keep making these games now why people keep going back to them is purely because it seems like it's the same thing over and over again but there's enough small differences to make it feel completely new like by the time Modern Warfare 2 came out it was basically the same game coming out over and over again but what made Modern Warfare 2 so special was the tiny differences that they put into the game where it was the things that you could do in, in Modern Warfare 2 that you couldn't do in the other games before it or it didn't feel the same in the other games like it did in Modern Warfare 2 it's those type of things so like uh, and you could you could technically say the same thing for fighting games because fighting games don't really change do they? they're always the same kind of thing the thing that usually changes is that you have different types so you have the um, street fighter which has very complex uh, combo uh, has a very complex combo system or then you have the Tekkens, mm -hmm. which is more about movement and then you have the killer instincts and the Mortal Kombat which are like small is doing the same combo repetitively and it's like you have each different type the only reason people buy these is because the tiny difference in how it plays is what makes that game special so each Assassin's Creed the thing that made it special was the small differences because they're basically a copy and paste each time but it's a small difference they, co they copy and paste it and make a small difference in it each time that's what keeps people coming back to it so Granted, there may be like indie games that are just amazing, utterly amazing, just do everything right, but they're not what people are looking for. They're not what people want. They want the same feeling that they always get. Because it's like, I can use anything as an example right now, but I'm just going to use food because it just feels so right. You can go to one sandwich shop, the whole of your life, yeah? and you see another one and everyone's saying that's the sandwich shop to go to man they give you money when you walk through the door you don't care you don't care that's not why you go you don't go for the food you don't go for the money you go for the feeling that you get when you get there that's it that's it it's the same reason people go to McDonald's they don't go there because it tastes better they go there because I'm loving it literally that's all it is and when game developers start understanding oh People don't buy our games because they're good. People oh, no, buy no. our games because... I think we've lost John. We've lost yeah, John. But I'm going to keep ranting. People don't buy... When, when game developers finally see that people aren't buying their games for the new things that they can put into the games, it's none of that. That's the indie developers are failing. That's where they're failing. Because, granted, indie developers, a few of them make big money. I ain't saying they don't. But if they want to keep making money, you're going to have to understand a very simple truth about just making a game. It's not about what you put in the game. It's not about all the new innovations that you make in a game. It's about how the person feels when they're playing a game. Because, David, I'm going to say this because John Hare is no longer in the call. I hate Sensible Soccer. It's the most frustrating <laughs> game in the fucking world. I, just, I dislike it. I hate it. I don't want it. I don't want to play it. If, if, if I had a copy, I'd shoot it. I'm just saying. But the feeling you get from playing that game is different from me. And that's the point. That's what I'm saying. It's the it's about the feeling the player gets. I can I like I like um, Dragon Age two more than more than Dragon Age one. I despise Dragon Age one. I despise it with a passion. But Dragon Age two is perfect. 
Jack and Rose And you know why? Because when I play that game, I feel like I am Hawk. When I play when I play Dragon Age One, Hawk's a dickhead. Exactly, he's an animal. <laughs> I like that because I feel like exactly. But in Dragon Age One, when you play as your character, you honestly feel like your character. You don't have that experience. You don't have the same connection as Hawk. Because with Hawk, you can be like, he's an arsehole. I feel this connection of hating him. It's like, oh yeah, this is a character I kind of customized. I need to feel it. But with Hawk, you don't need to feel it. You just do. It's that simple. When when games start going down that path and less going about, oh, let's put innovation in it. No one wants innovation. Everyone's like, we need innovation in gaming. No, we don't. People have been buying Mario for years. It's the same thing over and over again. It's just a platform with new stuff in it. Nothing's changed. Not one thing in Mario has changed. It's just that they gave him new powers and hats. That's it. That's literally all that's changed. That's all that's changed. Like, he can fly now. Kind of hover and uh, and or glide. He grows bigger. Well, it's now. Yeah. Do the shit. Do you in, the, in the next one, <laughs> you'll have a dog suit and he'll just go around sniffing butts. Is it a cat suit or is it a racket? He does wear a cat suit, yeah, he does. Yeah. And now, in the, and when he wears a cat suit, he can. Um, you see, when you get to the, last, the end Quiet, of the hole, the thing. he yeah. climbs it up, so you always get the top points. Like, seriously, can you, can you tell me that honestly, you play these games and you're like, yeah, these games are all... Mario's an amazing game. You hear people say Mario 64 is the best game they've ever played. Bull. Mario 64 was terrible. Camera was crap. The game was frustrating. I'm sorry. You look back at games from back in the day, people say, back in the day was when games were amazing. Why? Eddie, <laughs> That's because they're not it's, 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 it's hindsight, isn't it? I mean... Exactly. Eddie. Yeah. The problem that you're having is the fact that you've never grown up playing games where that was the best the game was. Yeah, I guarantee, yeah, you'll probably go back, in a few years, you'll come back and you'll look at, go back to Dragon Age 2, you'll look at Dragon Age 2 and you'll think it's awful. Alright, look, the first game I ever played, the first, first game I ever played was Tekken 2. That was the first game I ever played, Tekken 2, and it wasn't on the console, it was arcade. Yeah, that was the first game I ever played. Honestly, Tekken 2 looks like shit. It plays like shit. But God knows, back then, it was the best game I ever saw in my life. It's the same thing with with Mario. What I'm saying is, if I went back to play... But when, uh, when I go back to play the rest of the Tekkens, I see how they've changed. When I go back to play different Mario games, they all look the same. There's no There's no difference in it. It's just it's just a platformer with different platforms. Tekken has gotten faster. It's gotten harder. They've added different controls. They've added new things. The, the most platform platform when is that not just is that not like in the fighting game world? Is yeah. that not the equivalent of adding those things to Mario? No, because it's, it's to Mario, par- they're parallels, aren't they? You can't add hmm. different fighting styles in Mario, because that would just make no sense. <laughs> yeah. Is like equally you can't improve the platforming in Tekken because that would just that's just bizarre. Why would anyone try and do that? So, that's the thing though, they did that. They literally had um I think it was in Tekken three no no no. Yeah I think it was Tekken three or Tekken four. They had 
a section called um, what was it called? It was called Tekken Force. Where you would go through levels. I'm serious. You'd go through levels like a beat 'em up, like um, a double dragon. It would be like double dragon. It would be like a uh, just a 2D beat 'em up. You're just going through a hallway, kicking ass, and you get to the <laughs> end, and there would be like a boss, and then you go up, keep going, go up, and that's and that was like a, a part of the game, and it was new. But when I look at Mario, I'm just like, all you've added are mini games that no one likes, and yeah, it was just a minigame, but it but added it something really new. All of the minigames are literally because it's on a Wii. All of the minigames literally are there because we, they need to find a way to accommodate the usage of the Wii more than you need to shake your remote when something bad I've happens. I've got to say one thing. I'm glad we're not on Skype. <laughs> Why is yeah. I don't drop that call off you so fast. Because what you're saying <laughs> does not make sense. It's true, though, because... It's that, not. It's I hear, not. <laughs> it's true. I hear people... David, I hear you, people you can use the, the control time. panel to mute him. I hear yeah. people all the time, yes. I hear people all the time going, oh, <laughs> back in the day was great. It wasn't. Games from back in the day weren't, ama- weren't as amazing as people like, want them to be. It's just that nostalgia, back it. It was, it's basically nostalgia. It's, it yeah, is basically it's nostalgia. At that, at that time, it, it, was, it was a landmark. Yeah, at that time, it was a landmark, but you can't but say, yeah, you can't use you can't, them. You, when you play a game today, you can't yeah. play a game how they played it back then. Because back then, that game would have been new. That game would have been innovative. Whereas now, it's not, it's not innovative. Oh, it's obviously it's not innovative because people have built on that. Exactly, but you can't use, you can't look back and say games should be like this. Games should be like they used to be, because they shouldn't. That's the whole reason they're not. <laughs> that's the whole reason they're not. Oh, yeah, but that's not. Yeah. I think the, the whole mentality of it is different. Back then, there was a lot more innovation. But whereas it's like, now, it's a little bit stagnant. But that's the thing, we don't need innovation now. What we need right now isn't innovation. Because. Innovation is for when you have perfected where you are at. We have not perfected where we are at because we're still working on what we've got. We need and to be like, like say, Eddie, that makes absolutely no sense. would say you would need to innovate to actually get to the perfection point. Yeah. No, it's but like I'm saying innovation creates, creates a new goal of perfection. Okay, ha- tell me one bit of innovation that you can add to a first person shooter. Which I don't know, thing. that's why you I'm not just think it. of it on the fly. That's not how innovation that's works. For Call of Duty, the the jetpack they've added is mm. innovation. The jetpack they added... For Call of Duty it is. Because the jetpack they added the was, is basically a cheat that you could have added in the game called Super Jump. Exactly. But it wasn't in Call of Duty before. It's never that's been in Call of Duty. Never. What, what you're saying is, is therefore, what you're it's saying is, of their innovation. You're, what you're saying is, their their innovation is a way for them to perfect what they have. But they're not doing that. They're trying to add new things to thing to but a formula that shouldn't even be changed. What's the difference? Because when you have a formula, if you change something, you if, if you like, change, don't break <laughs> what isn't broken. Like don't try if and you change something. If you change something and it works, it's innovation. If you change something and it doesn't, it's a gimmick. That's the rule. 
Then we have a lot it's of never innovation when you've made it. It's innovation when someone looks back and think that was great. That's when it's then innovation. We have a lot of gimmicks and very little innovation. Exactly. Which is why we need more. <laughs> we're not going to get more because we're just going to get keep. We're just going to keep getting gimmicks. John is back. <laughs> Please. The difference between them hasn't changed that much. Hello. Oh, hello, hey, John. Hey, John. Oh, all right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. My computer doesn't seem to like this Google Hangout very much. <laughs> Norton, man. I have a problem with it. It attacks my computer and slows everything to a grinding halt. Which is Norton attacked it. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, And then when you try and stop it, it won't let you stop it. Oh, my God. That's strange. I need to find a way of deleting it, I think. Anyway, carry on. But, yeah. don't, say, don't say carry on, Jesus Christ. We, had, we, we, had, we just got, had a, quite a fiery conversation. Oh, what are you talking about? You had a, you had a punch up, did you? We were talking about innovation in games. And? Where did you get And me and Eddie was arguing about whether the industry needs innovation today or not. What it needs is innovation in curating platforms to get crap off of them. That's the innovation we need. At the moment, it doesn't matter how many original games you make on the App Store. If no one can discover them, unless you have to spend 20 grand a week on marketing, there's no point in making them. What we need is the platforms to be tidied up. Because there's, there's loads of great games that no one's discovering right now. Yeah. That's the bigger problem. And then on the AAA side, there's just no one can innovate. No one can be given the budget to make them. We have, we have, we've got no what we'd call mid-budget games really anymore. Yeah, yeah. So that's really the problem that we've got. So until we tidy up the way we distribute games and monetize them, I mean monetize them from the point of view of the developer now, um, uh, yes, there is innovation. There's a lot of innovation, but there's so much boring copying going on that finding the innovation is hard. You know, this. Yeah. The app stores had 95,000 games in it last year. Do you know that? There's about three, there's about four or five hundred games a day being thrown on the pile, of which probably 350 are a total waste of time. Yeah. They give us nothing innovation-wise. Yeah. And 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 because of that, you cannot find the brilliant new games through it. On the at the moment, the best platforms for innovation are the downloadable, small downloadable console games. That's where you're going to get the, from a development point of view, that's where we can actually do the most. Um, if we can get the funding, because we don't get advances for games anymore in the traditional way for that. You have to go to governments and get government funding and stuff. It's, 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 it's a chronic problem with, with publishers not having money. They only spend money, they'd rather spend 200 million on Assassin's Creed 12 than, you know, a million quid each and a couple of new titles. That's kind of where we are. Yeah. So, I don't know what your argument about innovation was, but from our point of view, it's, it's very hard to... It's, it's easy to put innovation on the platforms, but it's hard to sell it and get financial backing behind it. Yeah. It's I weird. mean, the thing that you missed when you went was <laughs> the, the thing that Eddie said that really... I mean, I'll be honest, it pissed me off. <laughs> and that was... <laughs> okay. And that was the fact that me and Zach basically said that the early 90s was probably the best time to be a gamer. Mm-hmm. The best games, the best platforms, the best consoles, the most innovation happening with every release that everyone was trying to outdo each other. Mm-hmm. And Eddie was like, no, those games are crap. 
it's only the new ones that are good. Okay. And we were trying to explain to him back then that was the peak of gaming. You can't look back on it now to say that. Well, well, the reason it worked well for consumers' point of view is because as developers, like if we look at when we, like when we made Megalomania Cannon for the Sensible Soccer, that little period, it's about three or four years, and before that on the Commodore 64, we could get anything signed up from a the publisher. They trusted us as artists, if you like. So we said we're making a new game. Took them a little demo and like four bits of paper, A4 with writing on it in biro, describing what we we're going to do. And we'd get it signed up for, I don't know, 50 grand, 80 grand, 100 grand, 150 grand. You know, this is what used to happen. So because of that, because us being supported with that, we could really go to town and innovate. Also, you're going to look at how games were sold. Games were sold at that time out of Smith's a lot still. Maybe Boots. Still lots of independent game uh, retailers. You know the little independents? You didn't have game and these big things there. So the guys buying the games were actually fans as well in the shops, you know, because they were smaller. So they'd be really excited by the innovation and new stuff. When, uh, which made it the publishers, it made it easier for the publishers to sell them new innovative games, which made it easy for us developers to sell our new innovative games to the publishers. Because the publishers knew they could get them stocked in the shops. Do you understand me? That's how the chain works. Yeah. So when the when the big chain stores dominated a little bit more, and they would pack out big shelves with 400 copies of the next big game, and it gave left shelf space to the smaller games, that meant that they were actually taking less of the smaller or the newer. By smaller, I mean newer IPs, new franchises. You know, the first time uh, Call of Duty came out, it was a new IP, for example. You know, there was a first version. There was a first FIFA version. It was it was one of the games. You know, it, it took Sensible Soccer off the top of the charts. So, you know, all these these games started somewhere, and and there was a time when they were quite happy to stop new stuff because that's what consumers demanded. What's happened is the consumer has become more conservative, less excited by innovation, and more. Um, happy to play something they're familiar with, like you said, that their friends play, they've played before, that they know. And so they've demanded something different from the shops and said to the shops, I don't want this brand new title, I want something I've known before. So then the shops tell the publishers, we need stuff that you did before because that's what the consumers are buying, right? And then the publishers say to us developers, we don't want your new stuff because we can't sell it to the shops, so we want you to make more of the same. And that's how the chain works. It's, it's actually driven by consumers in a way. Yeah, yeah. You know? If the consumer said, we're really bored with this stuff, we want great um, uh, new games on consoles at around about £20 price point, that are, you know, not 40 quid because they're not AAA, but they're 20 quid. Um, if the consumers really said that with enough uh, vigour, then the publishers would stop that. And then you'd start to get good innovative games, on certainly on console and PC, um, that might be a bit more interesting for us, quite frankly. There's plenty of innovation out there. There's plenty of great people out there, but it's hard to sell it. it has been for most people. So I want to just take this opportunity just to say, John, since you're on the podcast now, yeah, 
Um, you're probably most famous for being like an, an Amiga developer. Uh-huh. We've actually got a hold of this Amiga book by Sam Dyer. Oh, yeah, I know it, yeah. It's still sealed and wrapped and whatever. I've not opened it. Okay, yeah. I signed a few of those the other day, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a copy to give away. Okay. So what um, do you think we should do to give it away? What? <laughs> what should we do to give it away? Should we give it away on Facebook? Oh, we want a quiz. We, we want a quiz. Can we have a, can we have a quiz? A quiz? <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, should we just, um, say, give a question and then have three answers? Everyone who gets the answer right will put, a, will put their name in a pot. How many, how many people are listening Some, right now? No idea. <laughs> uh, I don't. I can't actually have the Twitch channel up while I'm streaming it I've out. I've got the Twitch channel up, and there's because one person it. watching it. And I can't. I can't tell if that's me or not. <laughs> one person watching it. Wow. So it might be better to actually do it on Twitter because we've got over a thousand followers. Okay. So, I mean, if you want to sort of like think of a question that we can ask, like multiple choice or summit, or or even just. And you know, just one I'm question. I've, I've got, I've got a, a question actually. Yep. Okay. It's quite a complex question. Well, <laughs> will it be able to fit in the? Is it, is it within 140 characters? <laughs> I, I, I want three names. I want three names from the, from the, um, viewers. Okay. <laughs> The very right. first game Sensible made when we were this is this is in the Sensible book actually not in that book maybe we need it on Never there okay I want to know the name of yeah the Sensible book right yeah that book that will lead me way back forward that book will have the answer in all the answers in it this okay? one yeah please buy it from Rom Books yeah it's a book Okay, so um, the question and name. Yeah, that's right. Can you see that? I signed that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my signature. So I want three names. That's a good one as well. What's that? It's very bad. the Mega Drive Genesis Collected Works. Ah, oh, that's that's about wrong. It's absolutely brilliant. It's got loads of documents and pictures and artwork and stories and. But again, I think this was done by the same. Um, I don't want to say it without getting it mixed up. Um, yeah, is it read-only memory? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that that was their second book they did, That's the Mega Drive yeah, Genesis yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. And I so wish that they would go back to the sensible book and actually do like a nice hardback cover version. Ah, oh, right. Make a request to Darren. It's absolutely gorgeous. I love the hardback cover. And what's wrong with our gorgeous paperback cover? <laughs> um, it's, it's the problem is it just it'll get tatty a lot faster. That's true. Right, do you want me to type this question for you? Can I type it for you? Um, would you be able to email me? 
Because <laughs> a- anything you type goes straight out on the Twitch stream. The problem is, right, if I email you, then my computer's going to slow down and Norm's going to attack <laughs> it and we're going to go back to where we were. But I'd rather not. I've got big problems with it right now. It doesn't like this Google Hangouts being up with um, Outlook at the same time for some reason. <laughs> Don't ask me why. So, if I type it, people will... Is that bad? To be fair, I think it'll be... Oh, it should be fine, it should be fine. Just don't do what I did. I'll just copy and paste and put it on Twitter. Yeah, don't type the answer with it as well. That's what I did. Didn't go so well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a good idea. Okay, man, I'll remember that. (laughs) (laughs) We made that. Right, here's the first one. Got that? Right, Saldor. The Sorcerer in the first game we made at LT Software. Ooh. Right, so. Here's the next one. Named a cat in Wizbull and Wizkid. Yeah. Uh, is the sorcerer's name Gandalf? <laughs> that's the wrong... That's in um, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I tried. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, let me... What's a wizard? What's a sorcery? What's a sorcerer name? What's a, what? What would be a sorcerer name? Here is the third one. Eddie. Three names from sensible games. Well, the first one wasn't a sensible game; it was pre-sensible. It's actually a joke name. The first one. Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Uh, I don't think Dumbledore was invented when we made that. Come <laughs> <laughs> on, man. <laughs> that was in uh, 1985. We did that. Damn. Oh. Yeah. Uh. I'm right, showing so how young I've, I am. I've put them up on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. The first one's hard. The second two are easier. Merlin. <laughs> Merlin, Dumbledore, and you haven't gone for Sauron yet. He's a sorcerer. Yeah, but Sauron is just like <laughs> Sauron. Sauron wouldn't be wouldn't be like a good sorcerer name. Like I'm guessing you went for something iconic, so it would be a joke. So everyone actually, interestingly, this was it was called something the sorcerer. This game, and it was a copy of a game called Gandalf. So we called Gandalf onto the ZX81, and it was called dot 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 the sorcerer. Okay, you can Google all this stuff, guys. It ain't hard. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) You say that. Zach, yeah. Zach yeah. you're on the podcast twice. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and different different pictures. Yeah, yeah that's, my, that's my Google Plus picture. Oh, um, right. Yeah, the other one's my webcam. It's because I just had to... For some reason, my computer, or Firefox, doesn't agree with Google Plus. <laughs> I don't know why... But every now and then, when when we're using when we're using uh, Google Hangouts, for some I get a little notification that says my my AMD driver has crashed and it has to restart Firefox. Yeah, and I had something crashing as well. Yeah, and we have to use Google Google Hangouts. I use Chrome, so I might have to use Chrome for when we do this. I use Firefox. Yeah. Oh damn it! Mm-hmm. I did a game called Firefox once. Firefox. I did it at the same time. Oh, d- just after this sorcerer game. 
So while we're awaiting people, if anyone's going to reply... Um, right, so yeah, so while we're waiting, mm-hmm. I just wanted to ask quickly... Yes. You sort of said that when you were still technically making like the old classic sort of games when Codemasters bought you, you guys out, mm-hmm. or just before you were in the making Canon for the three yourselves. Yeah. yeah. How far along did you actually get with that game? We st- it was very frustrating. We, we, we started it for about five or six months, no, less than that, three or four months, with a really, really good group of programmers at Codemasters. Uh, they were so good that they took them off of Cannon Fodder and made them the core team for all the engines in the game. So we had to stall development, and then it, I worked on Prince Nassim Boxing for a while, and we finished Prince Nassim Boxing off in Codemasters' office in Fulham. They had an office in Fulham. It was a really nice office. And I worked with a, a guy called Dave Out, who was a producer, and I was like the creative director there. And um, we started Canon for the Three again in that office when we finished Nassim Boxing. But then again, we, we, we got quite a lot of art starting to be done and lots of design documentation stuff. And uh, But uh, unfortunately, Codemasters hit a bit of a financial blip at that point, and they decided to sell the building in Fulham, which they owned, and the whole team just fell apart. So that was the second time it fell apart. And then the third time they started it again, uh, they had a game called Chopper at one stage, which was about a helicopter. They, they abandoned that, and they gave the Chopper team Cannon for the three for a while, and then I don't know what happened to that, but that stopped. So it stopped and started three times in a two-year period. It was very, very frustrating, actually, because uh, it was a really good uh, design. It was it was a 3D Cannon for the kind of thing. So would it have been exactly like the old Cannon Fodders, but were like, as you say, with like 3D, but still keeping the same perspective. Or... A, little, a little bit different. Um, it's kind of... Uh, your guys were more different from each other, so they were specialised. So one of them might be, a, I don't know, a better at infantry, someone else would be better in the, you know, in the tanks. Some people would be better at we had things like spying and rock climbing and stuff. So you'd actually pick which guys you wanted to take out on the missions, each mission. Um... And you could discover new men on the way. You could sort of like rescue people who joined your squad and stuff like that. And it was about going around the world fighting different peacekeeping missions. It was a really cool game. It was a real pity we didn't get to do it, but there you go. And looking through the, that sensible software book, it actually says mm-hmm. that Megalomania 2 was actually basically done but never released no we, no it wasn't done it was it was technically we were in the middle of doing it Dave Korn was working on it um, no we didn't actually get that that would probably have been about we call 25% at the most done it wasn't mm. done very much Canon for the 3 was probably itself about 25% programming design wise it was very mature so for me Canon for the 3 was really bad because it came straight after Sex, Drugs and Rock and Roll so I went from one long game that wasn't uh, published to, to another one, which is pretty horrible, actually, which is part of the reason I persisted with Word Explorer this time, even though it took four years. I was mm. determined not to have it not coming out again, you know? Um, it can be quite demoralising to work on something for a long time and for it not to come out. Megalomania 2 is only about four months' work or something. Compared to two or three years, it's not a lot. Yeah, yeah, I can understand yeah. Um, I mean, I guess. I mean, what else did I write down? 
I mean, the other things that I wrote down were, in the book it also says that you guys made the World Championship Soccer 2 for the Mega Drive. Yep. We did it under the name The Mystery Chefs. Yeah, I mean, why did Sega sort of like tell you to use a, a, a different name? Wouldn't they it? Didn't. They didn't. Oh. We chose to, to not diminish the main brand. Because I was going to say, from their point of view, it'd have been great to sort of say from the guys that made Sensible Soccer. Well, they kind of wanted it to be a Sega branded game anyway, so we wouldn't have got that much out of it. And we didn't want to maybe publicise what we were doing. Uh, they just wanted to use our engine, really. So they used the engine, we used the engine and developed it with a different look for Sega. Because, I mean, I used to have a Mega Drive and I played just about every football game on the system. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't remember that game to be honest. No, I don't remember what they did with it very much. For us, yeah. it was just a bit of extra money, you know, at that time. But, I mean, I have played it since for emulation, mm-hmm. and it actually is a really good little game. Oh, good. It should be. It should play like sensible soccer. It's the same engine. I mean, it, I guess it's so different being like side-on view sort of. You know, it just looks yeah. totally different. But, yeah, so, I mean, I just wanted to mention that, and as w- I knew we had you on today, I was on Steam. I was so close to buying Canon 3 just to, to see, see how, just to see how bad it actually could be. I've not seen it yet. I've actually not played it yet, to be, to be fair to them. Um, I mean, some people have said the core game is sort of there. Mm-hmm. It's just covered in... It, one of the reviews said it's like a fine meal that's just covered in tomato sauce. Right, okay. So you can still taste things kind of, but it's just overpowered by a lot of crap. <laughs> but the basics are still sort of there. Okay. But, I mean, while I was there, another review sort of said just buy it on good old games, you know, the originals. So... I actually bought Cannon Fodder, Cannon Fodder 2, Sensible World of Soccer 9697, <laughs> and Sensible Soccer 2006 while I was there. <laughs> oh, good stuff. So, <laughs> so I bought a load of games on good old games. So I don't know if you get any royalties from any of that. Or... In theory we do, but you know, the royalty statements always say zero at the bottom. They have done from Codemasters since we sold the company mm. 16 years ago. So there you go. Maybe it's... <laughs> Creative accounting, or maybe it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I just wanted to pitch an idea for you, see what you thought. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted, and I thought it'd be perfect as a mobile game, something called like Sensible Sports, mm-hmm. where it's like a simple, like the sensible characters, like a golf game, a football game. Maybe like basketball, cricket, golf, you know, like little tiny one-touch things to do. What do you mean by one-touch things to do? You mean like Wario-style mini gameplay? Yeah, that kind of, of a little mini compilation sort of thing. So you get one bit where it flashes on the scene, score a penalty, and the little bars going across the side, and you just tap mm. it. Or like the... Like with the golf, it's just stop the swing at the right time to hit it right. So it's like a one shot. Yeah. In sports. That's an interesting idea. It wouldn't really feel like sensible soccer because sensible soccer is about the flow of lots of gameplay. 
Yeah. More like a kick in New Star Soccer, maybe. Mm. Um, that, that could possibly work, a sports-themed thing. We have to do various sporting things. It's quite an interesting idea, actually. I mean, we've done, we've done on mobile, we did Sensible Soccer on mobile in 2005 uh, on the Nokias and that. And I we think that's rugby. where I got the idea from. We did a rugby thing as well. We did British quite rugby. good. I, I like that. Did you see no. the British Lions rugby? No. Um, no. We did a rugby game. It's like sensible rugby. It's a lot of fun to make, actually. So I very much wanted to do, when we when we did sensible golf, I would have liked to have done cricket, rugby, other sports, you know? Mm. But, but unfortunately, the golf wasn't so good. Kind of like took it took it down a little nosedive, I, I felt, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I tried to play the sensible golf and it was quite hard to actually get up and running. I don't know if that's just the emulator I was using or, but, you know, it just, about 20 minutes trying to set it all up and it just didn't seem to load. It's just a bit boring, to be honest. It's a bit dry. It's not got enough fun, not enough entertainment, not enough humour, enough animation, enough life to it. It's a, mm. it's a dry, it's a well-executed dry golf game. The putting's a bit flaky. Um, I don't know. I don't really. I don't really like it. We kind of effectively rushed it out a bit at the end. So I'm not mega proud of it. So I mean, would you still say that the sensible soccer is probably the best overall game that you sort of like developed? The best game we ever developed uh, was SWAS, without a doubt. Sensible water soccer, hands down. I mean, history will tell you that. It's. I've said this before, but it, you know, it's voted one of the top ten influential games of all time. Mm. Um, by a distance, it's our best game. Then you'd have got things like Cannon Fodder, Megalomania, Whizball, um, probably for how influential they might be. And then you've got stuff like WizKid and Shooting Up Construction Kit, Parallax, Micro Soccer. I kind of grade it down like that, and then maybe 3D Tennis. Insects in space and some of the budget games and golf. Probably down there. Because I mean, I know that. I mean, I, I think I never had the Commodore 64. We went straight into I think it was the ZX Spectrum. Mhm. And so I never played any of your earlier stuff on the Commodore 64. And I think we didn't get an Amiga. I think we, we got an Amiga 500, but it was after I got the Mega Drive. Mhm. And to me, it was always... I always loved Cannon Fodder, and my brother loved Megalomania. Uh-huh. And as I, I think I've told you before, we did not know it was... A, when you're 10, you just do not know it's the same developer. Oh, I see. Right. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's just a game. Yeah, yeah and it's just so funny how... I mean, I can be honest and actually say, Sensible Soccer, when I was between 10 and 15... Megalomania and Cannon Fodder, they were the, easily in my top five games. Good. What are the other two? Um, this is going to be really bad, but I loved Player Manager. Uh-huh. And going back to it now, it's so bad. <laughs> but I loved that game so much. And I think it was the original, was it Championship Manager? Oh, right, the football management. Two football management games. Yeah, I used to just... Love that. I mean, I loved all the sort of just the normal football games, and now I love the arcade races. But back on the Mega Drive, they just didn't 
I think it had to be 3D for it to flow. You're playing these on Mega Drive, these games, or on Amiga or ST, the sensible games? When I first played them, they were all on the Mega Drive. Okay. But all the management ones, they were on the Amiga. So you played sensible games from the Mega Drive. And, and yeah. what did you like about Cannon Fodder and Megalomania on the Mega Drive? You didn't find in other Mega Drive titles at the time. Or were there other games that that type? Like Cannon Fodder is a very different game from a football game, right? Yeah. But to be honest, I we had a computer store that came to... We never had a shop that sold games. Uh-huh. And we had like a little store that came. And I befriended the guy. So I could basically go and get any game I wanted, play it, and bring it back. Mm-hmm. And I used to do that all the time. So I was playing every game every week. But for some reason, it was only the, as I say, it was Megalomania, which I absolutely adored. I think it was the fact that it was, especially for like a 12-year-old, it was advanced and complicated, but not too advanced. Yeah, it was well, easy to sort of understand. We, we, I think we were quite good at Sensible at making things accessible. If you look at SWAS is the best example, again, there's so much stuff in there, and, it, and it, you can kind of get it in digestible chunks, so it doesn't, you know, doesn't throw you out too much. And it's good you say that about Megalomania as well. Um, Megalomania is a game would be interesting to remake on an online platform multiplayer. Hmm. I like that, that kind of stress of who's going to get the nuclear weapon first would be fun. Um, yeah, I, I will say that annoyed me, though, when you got into the later levels, and it was basically, if you didn't develop your nuclear weapon within about three minutes, they sent theirs over to you. You know, yeah. it, got, it got very hard, you know, towards the end of the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All over in a flash. I imagine that's what it's really like, though, right? You're sitting there in Japan, having some breakfast, and then suddenly you're dead, and so is everyone else in the same city as you. Must be pretty scary. I mean... I don't know why, but literally just a few weeks ago, I was doing a bit of research into the American... I don't know what program it was called, but it was like they had satellites up in space, and whenever it detected the Russian nuclear launch, within half an hour, it was all automated, and they'd send a response straight over. So basically, if they launched their nukes, then they'd automatically send theirs back... So there was no winners. Okay. America would just say, if you don't kill us, we'll just kill you. So everyone just disappears. Yeah. So it's just... But I think America, they... How the hell was it? It wasn't Russia. It was like some place right next to Russia where they actually bombed first, just so Russia couldn't escape. Okay. You know, it was like... I, I don't know who they are now, but it was just... They just like nuke all around them, so it's basically they couldn't get all the trucks and stuff out. And they, okay, they that's just, what you mean? Cut off their supply routes and stuff. Yeah. So I'd hate to be one of the towns that live right next to Russia. It's just <laughs> <laughs> they've done nothing wrong, but we're just going to nuke you for no reason. <laughs> yeah, we used to have this saying in um, when I was at school uh, in in Essex, where me and Chris were in in, in Chelmsford. Um, well, we set sensible up. There's a town nearby called Danbury, which is on a hill. And there used to be this saying that Danbury was the highest point in a direct line between Moscow and London. This used to be the crappy rumour we used to say in the school, you know? <laughs> <laughs> About nukes and weapons hitting you. Not really understanding how it worked too well. 
I'm sure it was all lies. It's all in good fun, though. Yeah. Unless it actually happens, and then... And then it wouldn't be so much fun. But I think, as I say, everything's autom- automated, so you wouldn't live long enough to work out what's happened. Everyone would just send the nukes over to everyone else. You know, so... There won't be much more work That'd be the only place they'll be alive, on the South Pole, those guys. <laughs> no one's going to bother with them, are they? Come on. <laughs> so... I remember um, one of my favourite comedy series, Blackadder. Um, it, oh, what was that? <laughs> they, took, they was talking about in Blackadder Goes Forth. Um, one of the characters asks, how, "Why did World War One start?" And and then he replies, "Basically, it was too much effort not to have a war because <laughs> because there was just two vast opposing armies just built up so much." that the idea is that they're both to deter the other one from fighting. But then the other character says, well, why didn't it work? And then he says, well, the idea was bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that you're going to prevent a war by providing all the means there is for a war. <laughs> Did you see yeah. the uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes film recently? I haven't, no. Yes. Yeah? Because I thought that was really interesting because yeah. it's actually about what you said. Two guys who don't want to go to war, but they've got to because their people want them to go to war. You know the end of the film? I thought that was a really quite cool message to get across. Yeah. The leaders don't always want to do it. Yeah. Sometimes they've got to do it. Did you but get yeah. this message? I mean, I think yeah. that's the problem with like, politicians and all that stuff. A lot of the stuff, they technically, they don't want to do themselves, but they have to. Mm-hmm. You know, but it would be nice if they would actually be honest about it and say, instead of all the, the bollocks that goes with it. <laughs> you can't, can they? But it's yeah, just so funny. Yeah, I don't so want to do this, but I have to. Well, no, it's, it's just so funny how, like, let's just say the Liberal Democrat leader, when he sort of said before, like five years ago, whatever it was, if I get into power all the university fees will not rise. I'll abolish it all in the UK. And then as soon as he got in as a deputy or whatever, the people in charge said, yeah, we're not going to do that. And he had to sort of say that, you know, his plans are not getting done and the fees are going up. So, I mean, how the hell are people expected to believe what he's saying now if five years ago one of his main points was just laughed at? It's like a kick in the teeth, really. You can't really, you can't really say anything because it's bad because he, it wasn't his choice, so he had to do it anyway. But even if he says it wasn't my week because he went through it, he went through with it anyway. So, so it's a double thing, so he's kind of screwed. Guys, I've got a challenge for you. Oh God! Right, I'm thinking about this general election coming up really soon. And we've got a number of different parties that we've seen on the TV. I think we should come up with a game to represent each party. A game? A game? No. Like the game that is the Green Party. The game that oh, is... Oh, okay. The Ooh. game Labour or Liberal or um, Conservative. I think it'd be quite fun. Or is um, it... Does it have to be accurate? It has <laughs> no, 100% accurate. It has to be almost like a piss take for it to work. Well, I, I think <laughs> for the conservative game, it's got to be FIFA because it hasn't changed in 15 years. FIFA? Yeah. I've got one. 
I've got one. All right, ready for this? Yeah. UKIP uh-huh. is okay. Bioshock Infinite because in it Explain. they create a country made of white people uh-huh. hating everyone else and trying to take off a rise above everyone else. Okay. If that makes sense. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I don't know if I should be used to that. You got that. Um, I'm a bit of both. Basically, what I was making it is they're racist. <laughs> that's, the, that's the basis of my points. What about liberal? Liberal. I can see a liberal being an indie game, but I'm not sure which one. Has there been a game lately that's come out that looked good and then it turned out to be crap? <laughs> There's been plenty. You had such high hopes and it dashed. Nope. Yeah, Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just trying to go through my catalogue. I can't think of one. Oh, what? what are you trying to think of? I'll, I'll be honest. I'll, I'm not really uh, the voting type. No, you don't know the difference. <laughs> oh. It won't make any, probably make much difference whether you... <laughs> whether you vote or not. The problem is, it's like... The people who you see on TV, they're not who you're really voting for. You're voting for your representative of parliament in your... Constituency, yeah. Yeah. But I don't have a clue who the hell man is up in Glasgow. They stick leaflets through the door. They should do. Yeah, but I just chuck them out. (laughs) That's why you don't know who it is. (laughs) (laughs) You're more like... You're more... Because a lot of the time, they're not even going to be the ones in charge. They're not going to be the ones in charge. Well, the guy you vote for. That's why, yeah, like, um, that's why I'm not scared of if Labour, if we get a Labour government. You are scared because, or are you not? Huh? Oh, no, no, not at all. Because um, everyone's government, everything's going to be bad. But honestly, look at Ed Miliband. Look at, just look at his face. <laughs> he looks like a guy that couldn't even understand how to make a sandwich. Like, he, <laughs> he, he doesn't even put on the t- he spreads the jam on the table rubs the bread on the table <laughs> and then says give me a decide. it's like he's not going to be in charge he's not going to be in charge when if they win what's going to happen is he'll be slowly removed very silently but he's going to be removed and someone else is going to come on top you think so that's just what oh, most definitely because I wouldn't trust I think him with a piece of bread and it, I think Nicola Sturgeon would be a better lady than him the, the SNP leader should make a better leader of the Labour Party than Ed. Personally, is what I think. Mad Godfrey can't stand yeah. her. No, I can't stand her either. But then, I think be a better Labour leader. Then, like, uh, the Liberal Democrats. Now, I have nothing against them. Mm-hmm. I have nothing against them. They always have the tendency of uh, never being able to win. Never being able to run a successful campaign. They have that tendency. So you vote for them regardless, but they never they never go like past the first hurdle, which is very annoying. Well also they've been held back for years by this stupid first past the post system, right? Because Yeah. Yeah. Without proportional representation, the the biggest problem we've got is that constituency in my opinion, constituency votes are good for local government. So you vote for the guy you want locally to run your town or whatever. That's fine. But the party you're working for should almost be, for the government, should be something separate. I think it should be just straight percentage of votes. Just, you yeah. know, totally... Yeah, it, it would be a lot, a lot fairer. 
Yeah. I mean, if they were saying... I think I, I heard on the news that if the red ones, whoever they are, if they oh, want to get in... The red, the red ones. The red ones Labour, I think. If Labour want to get in power, they, even if they get all their votes, whatever, they've only got like 300 and summit, but they have to get 678 to get power. Mm-hmm. So then they have to get like the Green Party on board and they have to get another party on board, another... Yeah, the majority, yeah. ...to actually get it all up. It's like, no, if that party wins the most votes, they should be in power. But, it, but it's not about the votes, it's about the seats. So I read something that mm. said something like... You have to have a majority, don't you? It said something like, if UKIP get 15% of the votes, they could end up with two seats, which is like less than a percent of the, the votes. <laughs> and, and, the, and they also said... The Labour could get less votes than the Tories, but um, end up with more seats. Yeah. And then there's another party which can get much, much less, like the SNP. They can get like 2% of the vote in the UK and end up with about six seats or eight seats. So it's a very bizarre and twisted way of... The, the, the SNP is much more than six or eight, but they can get a relatively small amount of votes for a lot of power. Yeah. So this is the... I think it's obvious that there's a problem with the system, but someone doesn't want to fix it, so they don't. Because it benefits Tories and Labour uh, to not fix it. And they're yeah. always in power, so they're never going to fix it. Also, tactical voting. People, people have this thing about tactical voting, mm-hmm. which really annoys me. So do I. I just don't vote. <laughs> That's my tactic. <laughs> well, well, it's, like, I... it's like all these people recognise there's something wrong, but instead of doing something drastically different to improve things they're going to go for the lesser evil, which makes it kind of just it's not really working. That's what I think of it anyway. If the old, if the old method of no, not the devil you don't. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. basically that method. They're not going If people try something that's, that's probably not going to work because they don't want to take the risk. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. When it comes to government, you can't. When it comes to like your government, you can be in the, of the mindset of I don't want to take a risk. You need to take a risk. That's the whole damn. Point. You, you'd hope so. You'd hope people but, take an educated risk. That's I mean, the thing though, they don't. They, my biggest problem with just go with what's popular. All the people at, at the moment, it doesn't matter who you vote for, because they've all got the the same sort of people who advise them of the party behind them and everything. So they all... And everyone's forgetting the fact that England now is not the England that it was 20, 30 years ago. Back then, we were one of the leading powers. Yeah. Whereas whereas now, we get told what to do off, like China and Russia and... The sad also ran. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter who we have in power. You know, we're basically joining up with America because they're crippled like we are. So we're thinking if we're together, we're better than... So we're both trying to help each other out. And it's In my mind, the biggest problem is whoever you're voting for, no one's going to overpower the big corporations. No one's going to take on the big banks. Mm-hmm. And until you do that, you're really not going to get much change. You know, it's just going to be more of the same thing. You know, why, in my opinion, I look at us with more and more big foreign corporations coming into the country, um, 
and some of them not paying tax, some of them paying tax properly, some of the bigger ones not paying tax properly. But the point is, what long-term benefit do they give the country? Yes, they give us jobs, but if they weren't there, then other companies would be there to give them jobs. They were British companies. Uh, the best example would be Starbucks. Uh, you know, Starbucks has just taken the place of family coffee shops around the country, mm. and yet they don't pay tax. They don't employ. Um, they don't. They're not run by families. So you, you've lost your family business. And often they employ um, foreign workers at very low wages. Yeah. So where's the money staying in Britain and going around Britain there? I don't really get it. All they're doing is taking out small businesses, and I wonder who's going to address those kind of issues. Because unless we, it's incredibly funny how people complain about people like just the, the from the the working class. People complain about people not paying taxes, mm -hmm. but then they will go to Starbucks and buy a coffee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, when that company alone is probably avoiding more tax than everyone in Britain who's avoiding tax. Yep, this is this is the problem. This is the problem. It's a very simple problem with a very simple solution <laughs> that this country has is that they spend too much time complaining. I went to I went to a school, some of the brightest kids I've ever met, but they'd spend more time complaining about everyone else or instead of doing something. So instead, they went downhill most of them. And it's and it's just a lesson that people need to learn. Stop complaining, like uh, just companies coming in and um, English companies not having a chance because the exact same chance as foreign companies. The only difference is foreign companies have the faster you get in, the more chance you have. And English companies have a greater chance because they're an English company. That's not how it works. American America, there are, there are foreign companies that are taking over America, and American companies are going over to foreign areas because they're quicker. It's that simple because they understand the faster you go into a different country as you get. The countries, the companies that are in, from that country expect mm -hmm. to have that to have an opportunity. It's not going to come to you because you expect it. When someone else isn't expecting, actually go for it harder. It's that simple. It's basically again the mentality. How much do you want to win? If you if someone else wants to win more than you, they're going to. It's that simple. If people country or a nation of people cannot understand that one rule. People that do are going to advantage of it, whether we like it or not. And no matter how many times we complain and start looking at the world and saying it's unfair, it may be unfair, but you're letting it happen. Yeah, but how do you... How about do the people that I... Okay, I take what you're saying, mm. but without resorting to violence, how do you actually get a change in the system? In other words, if you wanted to block companies coming in, right? If you said mm. we want the British companies to be dominant and we're blocking foreign companies coming in, in certain areas, obviously not everybody, yeah. but to try and get some balance. Um, who, is, who is wanting those companies to be there? Well, obviously, um, they're quite good if you run a retail site because they're quite solid, reliable payers. They've got a lot of cash in the bank, right? Mm. So if you're, setting up, if you're setting up a big new retail place, you're going to love these companies because they're going to provide 80% of your custom they're set up to be in these big things. They've got easy reach of warehousing to bring stuff in and blah, blah, blah. This is bigger companies, not just foreign companies, but British companies as well. This is about bigger companies, really. So the guys with the bigger money like these guys because they're reliable, rather than those little guys who might let them down, who might do something like that. If they don't 
they, they, they don't know them so well. They're not so solid. They might fall over a bit more easily. So if you trace everything back, I was I tell you what, this is something this is this is this is a, a detraction from this, but it it maybe gets to the point of, of where the money's really going. So I've been doing a lot of speaking recently at different games conferences. Uh, yesterday I was in Belfast for, for a couple of days, Thursday, Friday, talking there. Uh, last weekend I was in Dubrovnik in Croatia talking. And two weeks before that I was in Tallinn in uh, Estonia. And it's really good. You know, the game, you know the kind of games conferences there are where everyone speaks and everyone listens and claps at the end, unless you're totally useless. Um, and I've been noticing for ages that there's so many conferences, and yet the speakers very rarely get paid. Most of us never get paid. I don't know if you know that. We get paid our expenses for hotels and flights, but not for the actual time spent speaking. Okay? So there are some exceptions, but the majority don't get paid. So you might have a conference with 50 speakers, and only one or two at most will get paid. The rest will be free. Okay? The reason is because the assumption is that the speaker needs it to promote themselves so they'll do it because they want it, or, or they're getting a salary from Microsoft, Sony, whoever they're working for. So I was kind of thinking, after doing this for a few years, I'm like, well, maybe I should start asking to get paid now to do this, because some people are going to go there because they want to see you speaking. It's like having a theatre where you don't pay the actors, right? So I was talking about this, and I was asking someone about the conference organiser, you know, what about them? Now, and I discovered that the conference organiser is not really making much money either. They're basically spending nearly all of the money on the, the location okay, that they're putting the event on. The location hires itself out. So the conference organisers normally make not making that much profit. So most of the money they're getting in is going on that, that they do promotions, they get some sponsorship, which helps them. In fact, the, the guy in Dubrovnik, his sponsor pulled out at the last minute, and actually I think he lost some money, which is really sad because it was a brilliant conference in a brilliant place. Recommend everyone to go there if you ever want to go somewhere good. It's great just for holiday on the coast in the sunshine. Anyway, <laughs> so then, then I was thinking, well, this. So if the money's going down to the building, effectively, you were hiring it out. You know, the people who own the building, where's their money going? Well, if you think about it, most of these buildings must cost a fortune to make, right? So they probably made the money by borrowing money off of banks and financial institutions to build it in the first place. And so the money's really going back to these guys to pay the interest off on the building. Do you understand me? Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're turning up for free. People are paying 200 quid each sometimes to get into these things for a ticket. They're not cheap, right? Everyone doing this stuff is doing it almost for free. And virtually all the money is going down a chain with people taking out little bits. But most of it is just going to finance companies paying for people borrow money off to make a building. It's inc incredible, isn't it? So I, I worked it out. And I think this is the... Whichever way you look at any situation, it seems to go back to these same places. This is why I think the big corporations uh, are so dominant, because I'm sure that they get their money. They borrow a lot of money as well, remember, for various things. Um, I'm sure their money comes from similar sources as well. So I'm getting more into this kind of conspiracy theory as I get older. Because <laughs> uh, I, I can't seem to work out. Most people don't seem to have a lot of cash at the moment. You know? I mean, I actually... When I actually set up my own game shop when I lived in Thursk, a tiny town in the northeast of England, uh -huh. uh, I would have been 21, so that's 13 years ago now, something like that. And I had to buy the games in. If it was an EA game, it was £26.50, 
So if you add the VAT on, it's like £31. Uh-huh. And if it was like a Sony game, I think that was £24, so it was like £29 with VAT. Uh-huh. And so I had to sell the games between £34.99 and £39.99 because for one week, just the rent, the electric and the everything was about £200 back to have. Okay. And I was just struggling by... And then Tesco's decided to sell games. Now, where I was living, there was no game shops. I was there on my own, so I was doing not brilliantly, but I was making about £600 a week. Okay. And then Tesco's come in, and they were selling all their games for £29.99. Undercutting you. You know, and that annoyed me. And I struggled for like another year, then I had to close the shop. And then literally the week after I closed... Tesco's games went back up to thirty nine ninety nine. You know, it's just bastards, you know. <laughs> but I guess that's what they do. That's why there's no... You know, it, their shops are everywhere now. That's what they do. They just undercut everyone. Well, look what everyone. they say about food. It, it's, it's the farmers who often take the hit on the food when they bring mm. food, you know. The suppliers are taking the hits. So it, things have changed. You know, when we used to have... You look at Sensible Soccer, our old games, they'd be retailed around about 20 quid. Okay, we would make sensible. We'd make three pound a box, at about twenty quid, mm. and then about fifty-five percent. So that would be about eleven pounds. Would go to the would be for the, the distributor. So it'd be like the hang on, then let me work it out. VAT came off first. Then once the VAT is off, fifty-five percent went to the uh, to Smiths Stroke, the distribution company. So to Smith Stroke, the lorries that drove it there. Yeah. And then we would get paid a percentage of the money after all those things. So after VAT, after that, after manufacturing costs were off, after marketing costs were off, we'd get a percentage, which ended up being, on Sensible Soccer, which was our best deal, about three quid. So that was about right. So, yeah, I don't know, how, mu- how much would you be getting? If you sold a £20 copy of uh, Sensible Soccer, well, how much would you make as a retailer? The easiest way to work it out was... The control pads and the memory cards for the PS2 were 19.99 to sell. Uh-huh. So they were costing me £12 to buy in. So plus the VAT on top, they were costing me about 14.50. So if I sold it at the proper retail, I was making £5 per item. Right, okay. You know, but because all the other shops, well, Tesco's, they were selling it for basically what they bought them in for. Because to them, they were they didn't care about selling the games. They just thought, oh, if we have the game for 30 quid, we're making all the money on the groceries, and then they'll just pick that up while they're here. So so, so why do you think Apple invented the free price point in the App Store then? Because <laughs> it's exactly the same. You know, obviously, there were some PC games before that, but that's what's destroyed the mobile games industry. It's now the average game... Here's some really, really interesting stats for you, Okay. The average game, because on the App Store, iOS game we're talking about now, costs about $25,000 to make, right? Which is pretty cheap compared to console games and stuff, and very cheap, actually, you know? Um, that budget-wise puts it down with uh, probably something like Wizball for, for sensible games, or even lower than that, allowing for increasing money, okay? To give you an idea. But the average game only makes $5,000, so the average game's losing twenty thousand dollars, right, on the on the on iOS. Now, last year there were ninety five thousand games. 
Now, if each of those 95,000 games lost an average of $20,000, it means the whole market of developers last year lost $1.9 billion. <laughs> wow. Right? Which is why I only hear developers moaning about Apple. That's the reason. Because everyone picks out the successful games and goes, look how much Candy Crush, Clash of Clans, or whatever we're making. And they're making a fortune. But the marketing they're spending is scary. Like, uh, someone told me that Clash of Clans was about a million pounds a, a day, which is quite hard for some of us smaller companies to compete with. Um, and they are making good money, but there's very few games making good money, and you do get your breakthrough game, but most games are losing money. To the point where, for professional games makers like me, it's not worth supporting the platform, almost. Because you know you stand to probably lose money if you want to make a quality game. It's okay if you're a student or someone starting out and you just want to put something out there to try something out, but if you've got any reputation to uphold, it's actually a very dangerous platform. And if you look at what King... Um, who did Candy Crush and Rovio, who did Angry Birds and that, they can't even get their next hit game. Look at how many billions of users they've got, and they still can't get their next game to be a hit. That's a massive problem. I, I think that's what happened with the Minecraft people. They did Minecraft, and then they had loads of games in early stages of development, and not one of them games, when they like product-tested them, they didn't say who they were from. They just like said, you know, they were like, these new games come in. Absolutely. What do you think? And all of them said they were shite. You know, <laughs> everyone just said it's a rubbish idea. The concept's rubbish. The app rubbish. So I mean, that's why. I, mean, I think it was it scrolls that they were working on for so long. Yeah, they were working on scrolls for years. And it eventually just got scrapped because, you know, it's just no point in developing it anymore. But. I don't know, it is a, a scary prospect because, I mean, I mean, nowadays, it literally is, you need 50 to 100,000 just on marketing, just for people to realise it's a new game coming out. It's just not worth doing. I mean, would you risk that when you know the average game is losing 20,000 on development alone? What's the point? You might as well stay at home and watch telly. You'll actually be better <laughs> off at the end of the year, seriously. <laughs> that is the problem right now. So there, there are some solutions. As I say, the best solutions seem to be on the smaller downloadable games on consoles and, and to a certain extent on PC, although Steam is getting bigger. But Steam was less than 2,000 games last year and iOS was 95,000, so it's nowhere near the scale. It's getting bigger, but it's nowhere near the scale of iOS yet, Steam, for all the scaremongering you hear. Because, I mean, I've got a friend over in America who released an Android game called Retaliate. Mm-hmm. It's like a top-down vertical shooter and he released it on Android and he said it got downloaded a couple of thousand times and not one person actually paid the 69 pence or whatever it is to to get the advert off but he said he's actually released it, a part of it on the is it the Roku Roku box? Mm -hmm. The little tiny TV set-top box uh-huh. And he said because there's only about 15 games actually on the device, he's actually now getting a steady supply of about £30 a month from that. Wow. This you should know. retire. This should just... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you know, you're it's... right. It's, it's the less competition is going to make you the more money. You're right. Yeah. It, it's, really, it's really stupid at the moment. It's become Android and iOS. It's not just iOS. 
have become almost non-professional platforms. There's no business model you can guarantee. It's just a reckless gamble, really. Either a reckless gamble because you can't be discovered or a reckless gamble on a lot of marketing money that you might not see the return on. So, yeah, there's some really sophisticated machines to put games out there, but it's a different kind of market because if you ask half the people in the world who made Angry Birds, I'm sure they think the answer is Apple, right? Do you think so? Probably. I don't know. Probably. I'm pretty sure most people will just say I haven't. Yeah, exactly. Whereas if you look at why did people buy Cannon Fodder, that's because Sensible Software was a name developer at the time because we'd had hit games before. Or even why did they buy uh, Megalomania? Because we had a name. You know, artist built names about establishing yourself as a name, whether it be King or, or, or Rovio or whoever. This is the normal way we sell music, books, film, anything. For some reason in games, it's hard, it's broken at the moment. The hardware companies have kind of sabotaged it. There's very few hardware companies, there's very few companies, even publishers, with maybe the exception of EA, that's got a brand that means anything. I, I suppose you could also include Amazon, Google and stuff. But this, these bigger brands are hogging all the headlines now from the makers, I think. Why the pro- that's why you got the problem. I mean, to me, I actually got hold of a, a program called Construct 2, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm just above the level for retardation. You know, yeah. just, you know. <laughs> <coughs> that's very um, generous of you to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and I've tried to have other coding softwares where it says you don't need to learn C++ or whatever but when it loads up it's just loads of text and colours and I'm lost but this program I've got a a mate who lives in South Korea and he was giving me ideas to try. He's made two iOS games and I literally had five hours with this program Mm -hmm. I made a single screen platform game where a little cat with animation could walk left or right and jump across the platform, jump over enemies, jump into balloons, and if you hit the balloon, the balloon disappeared, so you could collect the balloons, and then if you got to the end of the stage where there's a tree, or if you fell off the stage, your character reset back at the start, and he was absolutely amazed that I was able to do that in about five hours. Mm Mm-hmm. And he said something like that had taken him to code it all from start to finish about three, four weeks. And wow. he actually knows what he's doing. You know, and I was just guessing a lot of the stuff. So, I mean, I think... And this program, if you pay, I think it's like 80 quid for the full program, it's actually got a save as, and it'll save as either a Wii U file, uh, Android, iOS... Facebook file, you know, it'll just save as whatever, because it's like a, like a web sort of based design program, and I'm tempted to actually buy it. It mm-hmm. seems really good. So, I mean, have you ever dabbled with any of these sort of like stupid little thing, or is it because you know what you're doing, you actually know exactly what you're doing? I don't know. I mean, I, I you know... I've never coded or, or done that. I just design and do and tell people what to do. So I design. I used to do all the art as well, but these days I just design things, 
draw lots of pictures, write loads of documents, sit over people's shoulders and say, do that, do that, do that, working with programmers. Um, no, I haven't really, haven't really been involved in that kind of stuff too much. I guess we made shoot em up construction kits, so I've made something that helps people to make games. Um, mm. But not really been involved in the end of using it, no. I think that, I think, I think at the moment we've just got such a, a strange market. You've got a triple A market, which has got amazing production values. The only problem there, we mentioned before, is that there's not enough variety in the games. There's not enough movement with different stuff coming in at that level because it's too much of a financial risk. And then at the bottom end, uh, you've got huge, vast mountains of games which are basically mostly rubbish. You know, uh, a lot of them are, which are very poor clones of a game that was good, uh, which have got no commercial value, uh, which have basically been learning processes for students or people who just set companies up, which quite frankly, um, in my opinion, shouldn't be in the same pot of games as games made by professionals that are trying to put them out as new IPs. I think, I think you wouldn't have the under-12s Man United team running out with the, the first team, would you? And that's kind of what we've got in the, you know, with the Apple and the Google markets at the moment, uh, unfortunately. Uh, basically, the big moan, the big word used by us is about lack of curation. That's mm. the word, you know. Like a shop with food dating back to 1958 still in the back shelves. Um, mm. Or games that don't even run anymore, because half the games aren't running properly in iOS 6 anymore. So, it's crazy. But But until... Until, uh, from Apple's perspective, games are only 1.5% of their income. So they don't really give a shit at the top level anyway. Yeah. This is the problem. So, and then on the console end, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you tell me, as outside of the, the AAA games, how does, it, how does it work as a consumer of console games right now or PC games? I mean, to me, the indie game... There's literally a hell of a lot. It's taken off so much faster in the last couple of years because, as we were talking before, there's literally about six to ten triple-A games on a console every year. So they have to fill up the schedule with other games. And it's um, literally just... There's no mid-tier developers, like you said. So they yeah. kind of had to resort to going to indie developers, in a way. Well, the, some of the indie developers are capable of being mid-tier developers, but they're not given mid-tier budgets. No, yeah. So they can't make a mid-tier game. They, they, they can't do it. I remember when something uh, when Microsoft announced their ID program for Xbox, mm-hmm. it, was, it was kind of backwards in the sense that they were saying, right, yeah, we want indie games on our platform. We want to help you be successful. But then they were saying, we're going to take quite a hefty cut of the money it makes and then also you can't you cannot publish on any other platform and that kind of led to it was it kind of didn't make it then made the indie developer it, it wasn't sustainable the indie developer was never going to make enough money to Correct. go on and make another game to be fair and though i think the id xbox same as every other online platform they all take roughly about 30% of the cut. That's fine. The 30% is not the problem. The biggest problem is is if they ask for exclusivity on the development without paying in advance, 
So we used to get advances against, you know, half. When we made any of our old games, about two or three months in, we'd take a demo to show publishers. They would sign it up, and then they'd give us money. Anything, well, anything between five thousand to a million pounds, we got in advances on different games. Okay, so that would just totally support our business during the development phase. It would make us a secure business, so we could focus on making the game. Um, what's happening now is that people and that these publishers, these publishers don't. Uh, sorry, I'm waving to my daughter. She's just going out. <laughs> um, At this time of night. Yeah, she's going to see her boyfriend. He's he's looking off work soon, I think. Um, the where was I? Yeah, the, these days the the games are often financed by government funding or by private investors putting money in, not by publishers anymore. The money's not held by publishing companies ready to take titles anymore. So people have to dance, jump through a lot more hoops just to get finance. And as you said, you might go for the deal where someone will give you support on their platform, but not really pay enough money to survive and not let you go on another platform, which is... Yeah. Which is but I mean... Stock. It's, it's not a deal. It's weird how some developers... Like the guys who did the IDAP for the Xbox One, mm-hmm. they basically said they had an idea. They didn't even have the game. They just had the idea and a little red box bouncing on the screen. And Microsoft loved the sales pitch that they got. Uh-huh. So they basically said, here's the money for the game up front. Make that game for us. You know, so I think it, it does depend on... I mean, I, I'd... We, I've tried to... Hang on, whose who's idea was the game? Uh, it was the developers. Okay. You know, they still own it. It came out for PC and Xbox One. That's great. That's good. You know, and it's like... I know Brian, who's from Image and Form, who did the SteamWorld Dig. Mm-hmm. And they were saying they were having a lot of trouble getting SteamWorld Dig on the Xbox One because of the... As what Zach was saying, it it can't be published on another platform first. And I was talking to him and I said, well, I know there's ways around it. If you basically say we've added a like um, an exclusive level set, like an extra ten levels or something stupid, then it's a different product. Yeah, so you can call it a game of the year edition or something. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the way to get around that deal where the game itself it won't cost too much to add a couple of extra little bits. Yeah, I know it's annoying, but you, you have to look at it from Microsoft's point of view. Why should they pay and publish something if it's something that's been on another platform two years ago? That is that is true, but we shouldn't be relying on the platform holders like Microsoft to have to do this anyway. It, it, it sounded should. at first it was kind of like. The consoles were there, and they were saying, "Come to us! Come to us! We mm-hmm. we we want you on our platform because we need it. We want console exclusives." And now it seems like it's the it's developers are going to consoles and going, "Please, please, can we put our game on your platform? We need the money." And then consoles are kind of like, "Yeah, but you know what? We'll give you a quarter of the money, or we'll give you a however amount it makes a profit. We're not going to give you the money up front." It seems like there should be some kind of middle ground where... But I think the problem is Microsoft, they're coming off the back of the 360, which was probably the greatest ever 
downloadable service on a console of all time with Xbox Live. And they're coming from that with, they're thinking, we'll just keep all the paperwork and all the contracts the same as it was mm-hmm. and move on to the Xbox One. But they're forgetting Sony, after the PSN debacle that it was on the PS3, they've come on the PS4 and they've like, yeah, you can publish whatever you want, no no fees, you can do this, you can do anything, mm-hmm. you know, just come to us, get a contract and it's done. You can put it up whenever you want, charge for your own downloads, charge for all your DLC, do whatever you want. So because of that, and because none of the platforms were backwards compatible, then everyone's just gone straight to Sony because they don't have to pay all the fees. Well, it's, I mean, it's good what they've done, but, you know, we're really struggling with the new digital age right now to understand what to do publishing-wise. So if you think about it, the problem we've got with, with too many poor games coming out is purely because they're digital and it costs nothing to produce them. Whereas in the old days, if we went to any of the old games publishers, that little cannon fodder box you've got behind you there on the windowsill, or Megalomania, the Mega Drive ones, right? Yep. So bring it forward a minute. Bring, bring it to the camera. Bring it to the camera. Oh, I just cartridge. Yeah. So that's a cartridge, right? Is that a cartridge or is that a disc? Cartridge. The cartridge. Right. So you've got a cartridge... You've also got, bring, hold the box up, you've got a plastic box, inside that plastic box you've got that cannon fodder thing which is actually a paper inlay, right? So within the publishers, they'd price that up and that would probably cost about 50p to physically make the packaging plus, I don't know, a few quid, a few dollars to make the cartridge, right? Yeah. You've got physical cost of goods of, let's say for argument's sake, £2 a unit of what you're looking at there, Okay. Just that £2 a unit meant that they would only take on very few games of good enough quality because they had to outlay £2 a unit times 10,000 units is twenty grand just to get the stock into the shop. Hmm. Nowadays, it costs nothing to get a game onto a digital platform to get it up there to be downloaded. Because So, in a way, what I'm saying is that creation of that physical unit was a natural quality control barrier. Because rather than the publisher going, yeah, we'll put every game out, they said, well, I'm not making that game. That's not going to sell at all. And I'm not spending too good a unit to make it. Since we've gone digital and that cost has come out, now every game can reach the market without any overhead of manufacture. But that was a natural gatekeeper for quality. Yeah? Yeah. So what we're now seeing is the hundreds of thousands of games with no quality check at all, um, which is making them impossible to discover. So said you, you talked about the lack of middle quality games. There, there are some out there. They're just bloody hard to find. You know, in a in a in, in, in with, with huge choices of because most of these games you can only view them twenty at a time. If there's a million in the pile, you got you got to press the next button fifty thousand times to see all the tiles. Hmm. Unless you know what you're looking for, then it's pretty useless. Yeah, so, and and if you know what you're looking for, you're never going to find a new IP hmm. because new IPs you either. They're either marketed to you, which is going to cost a lot of money, or you stumble upon them. So for these kind of reasons, um, we're still getting to grips with digital, and we're still not fully addressing the role that publishers had. Because publishers, unlike platform holders, did want to identify the best titles only. They didn't want all the titles. They didn't want lots of titles on their, on their platform, on their label. They wanted the best. 
because they had to pay for manufacturing for them. They had to pay advances to developers for them. They were more selective. Whereas platform holders are different. In the digital age, they want as much as possible. Apple want to sell their hardware. They don't care about the software, right? So their 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 total business model was entirely different to a, a publisher like Virgin or Renegade or um, even like um, LucasArts or Activision or any of these guys. They've got a different model. The hardware uh, manufacturers, and this is what we're really seeing. And 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 the impact of the digital age is just crystallising that. Now they, they now you can jump the publisher. You can go from developer straight to hardware, right? Hardware company. Yeah. Cut the publisher out. The problem is no one's fulfilling the publisher role now, which is marketing, paying the developer during development, and actually selecting the best titles. Now to give you an idea of how much has changed, I designed a game called CCTV about five years ago with a company called Nikotova in Ukraine. And the idea was to publish this on, I think it was the DS first, okay? And we got very, very near to signing this with uh, IDOS, this now Square Enix. We got down to the last five titles, and he was going to choose three. Unfortunately, we didn't make the final three. We got to the last five. That three was from selected from a pile of about a thousand games, okay? So over the year. He went down from a huge amount of games to just about three to choose which went out, and all the rest were not made. They were not, didn't get the deal, and work wouldn't have been finished. Nowadays, those whole thousand games would just go out because you don't get the publisher block going. That's not quite good enough for us to put the marketing behind the manufacturer. So the argument goes that that was too against original IPs and and, and developers like us, the old the console model from about five ten years ago. Okay. But now we've got the flip side. Now we've got no gatekeeper at all. Now anyone can get involved. And actually the best model was the model we had in the home computers when, when a lot of the games were getting on the platforms, a lot of the games were getting accepted. The platforms were free and open. So the Amiga was, and the ST were totally free to, to put things on. Yeah, and PC. You didn't have to jump through too many hoops. But the publishers provided the gate, the gatekeeping. And that's kind of what we're missing now. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I understand because I, I could literally spend two, three weeks with this game development kit and actually polish it up and add a title screen and end credits and a score. I could buy, I could pay 80 quid, actually be able to save that as an Android file, whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. And then I could pay Google a £30 licence fee to be able to put it up on the Android store. Uh-huh. So, for me to make a, a crap game in under a month, I could actually have it up ready for Google to submit or decline it. And what that cost me? About 110 quid. Yep. And that's where which, you get loads of hobbyist stuff on the, on the market. You know, which, to me, that's a scary thing. And then you as a consumer are faced with all these games. I mm. say that the, the, the you know, Android and iPhone platforms are like the National Gallery full of loads of scribbles done by kids at kindergarten with like the Mona Lisa kind of buried behind this pile of paper somewhere on a wall. And the real problem is there are some really, really good young new developers out there. They really do exist. There's quite a few. I see quite a lot of games all the time. I work with a lot of universities and go around seeing lots of things at shows and stuff. 
But they find it very hard to get their games discovered in this current model. The, the losers are the good guys amidst all this crap. But they're the people who are losing. And interestingly, the guys who are winning at the moment, I spoke to a guy um, from a company called Wales Interactive at the weekend, who have just started to make waves um, on some downloadable console stuff. And they're, they're doing well because in platforms where there's not so much challenge. You know, some of those platforms have only got 240 games on them at all. Mm. You know? So there you've got a chance of being discovered. When we put Sensible Soccer out, there were a thousand games released in the Amiga that year. A thousand games on a platform is normal a year. It's the right number. 95 is just bonkers. And 250 is amazingly low, which gives you a good chance to be discovered. Mm. You know, but all consumers want is... All consumers really want is everything is, is a filter. You wouldn't want to go into a restaurant and have all the food everyone down the street made the day for their families, half of which people can't cook properly, that you can choose from. You'd want the natural filter right on the menu. We're in an uncharted territory of crap available to choose from at the moment. Because well, the I, I think the main problem is to be able to filter the crap from the cream. Mm-hmm. It takes a hell of a lot of manpower, and the publish or on the online portal. On iTunes, well, the guys at iTunes are going crazy at Apple at the moment. They're, they're just they're just drowning in, in games. You can imagine. You know, they just can't play and test every single thing that's coming through. So it's just like they've waved their little white flag, and it's just like, come on, just send them through. We'll yeah, it's exactly what's happened. It's just just too much for them to handle. And they could handle it a different way, but then they would put people off buying all the hardware to make the games. And they don't want to do that. But so, I mean, people thought about it negatively when, it, when Steam, when they sort of said the greenlight process, when they changed it from being free to, I think you had to pay was it £300 to get your game up on Steam Greenlight, which, although it's quite a chunk of money for, for us, Mm-hmm. If you are a game developer of any pedigree and you want to get on Steam, £300 shouldn't be too bad. It's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. You know, and I mean, if you are worried about £300, maybe you shouldn't be making games. You know what you're saying is 100% correct and it's what I've been saying to Apple for ages. Why can't we pay you $3,000 to put our game in a different category as an advance against the 30% of the money you're going to make. So what we're saying is, we think our game is going to make at least $10,000, so we're going to pay you the $3,000 you'd get up front, okay? Basically, and then and then just take it away from the sea of rubbish. But it doesn't need to be $3,000, it could be, you're right, it could be $1,000, it could be less. It doesn't matter what the money is. The point is that you, to show that you're serious. And let's face it, the average game's costing $25,000 to make, What's an extra $1,000 in the submission process to Apple to give yourself a better chance of your game selling? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, as you say, if the game's 20 grand to make, by all means, take an extra, even if it's just five, 500, £1,000, mm-hmm. and then that company knows that you've got the financial backing to actually not just release a crappy flappy birds clone 
Yeah, exactly. so it's actually going to be a full featured game. Well, this is the problem: is the clones. So many of the games are clones; they've got no commercial value. I mean, making a clone of a game and making it the clone even worse than the original, this has got no value. Yeah. You know, if you're going to do like a clone of Bejeweled and call it Candy Crush and make it really, really good, that's fine. It might be a bit of a clone, but at least it's a well-executed clone. If you're doing something original and interesting, it can be a bit rough around the edges. But if it's just a crappy copy, which is what 90% of these games are, yeah, or they're not even full games, they've got no, no value. And 40% of them are never downloaded once, by the way. Why they keep them on the store, I've got no idea. So I would like to see it tiered like bronze, silver, and gold games, like a lot of budget companies did for games over the years, yeah, like bronze the, the bronze game, the silver game, the gold game. Do you know what I mean? The different tiers of yeah. quality? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. They can easily do that. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's like bronze tier, you pay your normal $100 a year or your $30 submission fee. Silver tier, pay £500. And for gold, £1,000. And then that way, you know, if the developer is serious... Absolutely, 100%. They want to have that gold star on their game. That, that's exactly what I believe, because you're right. If you're serious, £1,000 in the big scheme of things is nothing, right? Mm. And, and then people would go, but it's not fair on up-and-coming people. But you could say, you know, the really popular games in the tier below, you could, like, give them a nudge up then. But so you could also say that if you are an up-and-coming developer, get five, ten games out on the $30 bracket just so you can go to someone and say, look what I've done. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they will sort of say, those games are amazing. We'll give you an advance to actually be able to go and get the next step up. You know, But you can't just go straight in with no experience and expect the best game. You have to work your way up at it. It, like I say, it's very weird. We've not been in this place before because everything else has natural quality control in it and everything you buy, you know. No kid's going to go, I've just designed a car and then they stick it in the shop next to the BMWs and the Audis and stuff. It's just not going to happen, is it? So. Is there anything else we need to discuss? I'm mindful of the time. Yeah, um, I think what we're going to do is we'll put part one up this week and part two up next week because... <laughs> <laughs> So far, what, five hours has it been so far? Uh, five and a half hours? Yeah, it's got to be six hours. It's about six hours. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure, John, as always. It's been great just chatting. Uh-huh, it's been very, very fun, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's... Yeah, it's great to talk to you, John. We actually had someone on yesterday who... Is actually I don't know if you know the company Running with Scissors. What game do they do? I do know them. They, they, they do the Postal series. All right, okay, yeah. And I told them, well, I told the guy he needs to play Cannon Fodder because he's American, so he's not that used. He's not heard of the Amiga. Um, so I told him he had to go get Cannon Fodder because I believe he would love that game. Okay, I hope he does. Yeah, and. But yeah, it's great talking with people who actually speak what they want to say. Hey, I do that all the time. Well, no, I'm not. <laughs> it, it's nice to talk to someone less in interview format and just more as a chat, just like banter. What's going on? Yeah, it, it's important to discuss what's going on now because we're at a very strange time, and you know, I think in two or three years, 
time we'll, we'll be in a much better place for games. I think we're in a weird little interim mm. period right now. Yeah. You can't get any worse up from here. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're wrong there, Eddie. I think it can get worse. Oh, please. The only, the only way it can get worse... It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. <laughs> Nintendo, Nintendo console is a wristband. If the that wrist- happens, I'm, I'm going away. I've always wanted to ask someone that's in the development sort of side of things. Yeah. The Nintendo brand uh-huh. in America is untouchable because from the things I've read, the NES and the SNES basically had about ni- between 95 and 99% domination in the USA. Yeah. Between their height. But in the UK, it was much more 50-50 with Sega and uh, Amiga and Nintendo. Uh, to me, Nintendo holds no love. A lot of their games, I just don't feel the love for them. Like, but in America, if you were to say, oh, Zelda's crap, mm-hmm. they would crucify you. I just wanted to know, someone that's made games and British, uh-huh. what do you feel about the Nintendo brand? Do you feel that it should be held as the highest regard? Or do you think because America was the largest country and it was just the biggest you know, the most 95% were ever user base. I've, well, you're, uh, of course, Nintendo's Japanese, right, number one. I think yeah. that as software makers over history, they are by a mile the best company as software designers and makers, by a mile. I mean, you go back to the 70s or whatever to now. So they're not in a brilliantly strong position now. They're in a quite an interesting position now. Do you know, um, outside of your Clash of Clans and Candy Crush... All formats. Which game um, sold the most last year? Do you know? I would have a guess Pokemon. Pokemon, yeah. yeah. Pokemon. No, no, no one even talks about it. It just goes under the radar and sells well. So they've always been in their own bubble. They've been very hard. Their weakness has been they're very hard for third-party companies, particularly developers, to work with. They've yeah. always looked after themselves. The same with publishers. When they opened up the Wii finally to publishers and developers... Was the first machine they really opened up, um, or the bigger machines. Um, when it came to manufacturing, there were still only two factories that could manufacture it. And at that big Christmas for Wii games, um, a lot of the publishers had to pay up front for cartridges, something like 20,000 cartridges at a time, which was quite a lot of money, times the amount of dollars it was. Uh, and they weren't getting the cartridges, some of them, until after Christmas because there was such a backlog. And the t- Nintendo, again, reverted to type and just looked after themselves. So they're quite, a, they're, they're quite a selfish company. Um, America didn't really experience home computers like we did in the, in the 80s and 90s because, like you said, it was, it was all NES or VCS. Atari VCS would have been the other thing that dominated. Um, but, you know, we, I think that Nintendo has always been for us in the UK not quite mainstream but, like, quite cool thing. But I think the always thought it was quite cool. And um, obviously... Uh, I'm not saying it was a minor, but it's you know I think that the perception in the UK would be that maybe Sony's always dominated slightly over, over Nintendo as a format, and I thought PlayStation. I don't PlayStation, know yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think I mean, that even so, the like the Nintendo DS is like it's huge everywhere, including the UK. Absolutely. It's I mean it's like if they bring out a new one every two years, or maybe even less than that. And it just sells millions and millions and millions and millions. 
And I, I love my 3DS. I think the games on there are absolutely fantastic. I think Nintendo play their own games. So, so everyone's playing their, playing one game against each other, and Nintendo just seem to play their own game in their own little corner all the time. Yes. Yeah. kind of what yeah. they're doing now. So they'll still be running somewhere. The only thing that might happen is they may be acquired at some point if some of the older guys at the top get tired at Nintendo. But they just seem to be so fiercely independent. I've got enormous respect for them, and I'm glad that they're there in a way. Um, I, mean, I think they were sort of saying that the if you just go by the game sort of division, the part of it that make the games and the consoles, Nintendo themselves have got double the money in the bank than what Microsoft for the Xbox department and Sony has. And that's Sony as a whole company, not just the PlayStation division. You know, so I don't think Nintendo are going anywhere anytime soon. No, they're not. It's just, yeah. it depends on... I think they'll slowly move into the mobile developments that I've seen, and then they'll see where that goes. I don't know if they will move into mobile. I think they're waiting for it to pass. And I think the fad is passing. The, they've already announced that they're making they mobile games. Yeah, they're going into yeah. it. They're going into mm. mobile? Yeah, yeah. They've, yeah, they've announced. They're probably going to do their own they said thing. they're not going to port any games, but they're going to use characters of old games in new games. Hang on. Nintendo are going into the phone market with telephones. Yes. Yeah. Mobiles. Oh, wow. okay. About two it's months ago, crazy. they announced... When they announced the NX, the next console from Nintendo, they had to announce that, even though that's not coming out for another two years, but because they basically said, we've decided that we will be moving into mobile game development. We've bought, or we've joined up with DNA, a Japanese company who make mobile games, really bad, like Transformers <laughs> games and things like that. But they've bought 10% of them, and then DNA bought 10% of Nintendo as a joint merger. Mm-hmm. And they basically said, we're going to be going into mobile development we are not going to release any ports, so Super Mario Brothers will not be on iPhone. Mm-hmm. But they said they are going to use existing characters in new games. So there's going to be a Mario game, but it's not going to be... So it'll be Nintendo first-party development, that means, or, or some of it taken out. Nintendo first-party, they are developing everything. It's DNA, who they're basically like a, a Japanese portal like Download Star. Okay. So they're going to handle the cross-connection between Nintendo's new platform and the mobile, so they can both communicate with each other. It might be and a new... It, they might, the new platform might actually be a, a portable, then, if that's the avenue they're going down. It's going to be a portable. A portable, as opposed to a mobile, you mean? Yeah, because... Yeah. If they want to go into mo- into the mobile space, they're going to have to use a portable device, basically. They're not going to be able to use a, co- a home console because it's for the verse, like for the world that they've made on their consoles, it won't fit. Well, no, they're not going... That's why they said that the games that are coming out on mobile are going to be completely separate to what they are in the home, you know. So, But, I mean, they've been very vague about it. They just wanted to announce the new console at the same time of saying they're going into mobile. Otherwise, everyone would be saying, oh, God, they're just going to go straight to mobile and stop the consoles. So they had to announce their next console. That's not due out until 
2017. So a lot of people have been saying their next console is going to be a tablet-like device that you basically use it as a DS, but when you get home, it can stream straight to the TV. Oh, that's cool. You know, so it's best of both worlds. Because at the moment, I think Nintendo's worst problem is the fact that they've got their Wii U and they've got the 3DS. And they're making games for both. They're totally different devices. Yeah, and basically they can't market it at the same time. So it's like having two completely separate devices. It's almost impossible to make a game that's going to work well on both devices because the input system is so different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen the Wii and the Kinect, you know, that kind of action, moving around-based stuff is kind of dying out now as a, as a main control method. It's a gimmick. Um, I've got to say, and I've got to go in a second, but I'll put it out there first, I actually think that um, virtual reality, the Oculus Rift stuff, is, is also in the long term going to be a gimmick. Yeah, most definitely. I was just going to say, what did you think of the Oculus Rift? Because I tried it at the some event, and I put it on, and it literally just looked like you were wearing a headset with two glass mm-hmm. pieces about in, like a foot from your face, so you could see two squares, and it just it did not immerse me one bit. I've seen I've seen enough stuff on it to know it can be immersive and it can actually really play with your head. I think that it's not practical to use in the house because you'd be knocking cups off your mum's sideboard. Um, I think it's a great thing for live events, for specific stuff for arcades mm. or live mm. situations. It, it's quite a powerful thing to use and it's something you only want to use for two or three minutes at a time for physical comfort. Yeah. So I think, I think we could see a lot of great stuff happening with it but not in people's houses. That's what I mean. Right, guys, I'm going to have to... Um, Shoot off. Yep. So again, thank you, John, for coming on. Pleasure. Yeah, Happy um, 100th episode, by the way. Well done, guys. Brilliant. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you, John. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bye. You guys, bye. Bye. Hey, my name is Austin Seiko. I'm an independent game developer over here in the U.S. Just wanted to say congratulations, One Up Gaming, on uh, 100 podcasts. Hey, guys. This is Brian from Image and Form in Sweden. Congratulations on reaching 100 podcasts. That's pretty impressive. What's up, everybody, at the 1UP Gaming Podcast? It's Chris from Bunhouse Jingles. Just wanted to congratulate you on your 100th episode and thank you for everything. Here's to another 100. Now back to my daiquiri. Hi, I'm Ben Halpin from Lazy Game Studio, and uh, I'd just like to say congrats to David and the rest of the One Up Gaming crew for reaching a uh, hundred podcasts. I mean, it really is just simply amazing that people still listen to this. Nah, I'm just joking, but congrats, and you know, hopefully there'll be many more in the future. And uh, while I'm here, be sure to check out my game called um, Overdosed: A Trip to Hell. Uh, it's on Kickstarter at the moment. So if you Google Overdosed Kickstarter, it should be like the first thing that comes up. Um, it's also on Steam Greenlight too, so um, give us a vote there as well. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that's it from me. Bye. Hi, this is Dean Swain from the UK's number one retro gaming podcast show, Retro Asylum. I just wanted to say congratulations and well done to the one-up gaming podcast show for reaching 
your 100th episode. Well done, guys, and here's to your next 100. Hello, this is Stephen Gurevitz, the Community Manager at Geotech, and I want to congratulate 1UP Gaming on reaching 100 podcasts. Uh, We've only made it up to 19, so 100 is a big number. So well done, congratulations, and keep them coming. Coming soon to an iOS device near you, announcing Fat Cat Fly from the developer of Purr Rocket. Control Mr. Popcorn, a high-flying kitty who has only one interest, eating burgers. Visit Facebook.com slash Fat Cat Fly. Coming soon in May 2015. There we go. So uh, thank you to John for coming on there. That's been another long episode. Very long. And we, I mean, like, been, that's been that was a, that was a quite a variety. That was. Oh yeah. We, we went to politics. politics there. We went to politics, games. It was like everywhere, man. Everywhere. It was actually really good. But <laughs> as I've always said before. John Hare, to me, is a legend, and he speaks what he thinks. Same Can as, I do that? Yeah, but you're, you're <laughs> so, opinions, does it, well, so does David. <laughs> your opinions mean nothing. <laughs> like, my opinions mean nothing. He's been a developer for, like, 20-odd years, and he's made some of the best games ever made. Yeah, but my opinions mean something. One reason. <laughs> not to me, though. It's nice, it's nice to meet someone who's not... He's not got an agenda. Oh, yeah. He's not here to say, oh, oh by the way, my new game's coming out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he I mean, I think... He doesn't do that. Two, like, two podcasts. Whenever we do that, we, we, we get the developer on, and we haven't played their game, and then it has this really weird ten minutes, and then yeah. we say, oh, bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think we've had two... besides Two episodes and two really good interviews. Well, not even interviews, just two really good chats. Yeah. Which is a, which is not a bad, like, you know... Zach, are you in your pyjamas? Track record. I am. Well, I've got my pyjama bottoms on. Alright. Uh, I might have just got a record t-shirt. Oh, uh, <laughs> Pacquiao Mayweather fight today? Anyone? Anyone? For, no, uh, I'm, I'm going to go to bed. I hope, I hope they start. Uh, and literally, the first punch they throw, and then that's it. That's it would be funny because some I'm of the tickets on the black market was £8,000. Yeah. Which is just crazy. I couldn't care, to be honest, Zach. I just want to see me with a knot. Hey, Zach, should I, should I speak with John? See if we can get some sort of marketing deal. See if he can buy me that Construct 2 and see if we can get a game out within a month. Within a month? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> my, my game, see what it's like. <laughs> wait, 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 1UP Gaming, 1UP Gaming show game, what would it be about? You choose your character, David, Zach, or Eddie, <laughs> Okay. that's the first bit, then it's a, take it away, David. I was just thinking of a little kitty cat that scratches itself. Oh, okay. I was thinking of a text adventure. Text adventure. Yeah, but I can't spell. There's no point yeah. doing that. I'll do that. I never said you would write it, did I? <laughs> yeah, but I think I'm... As I say, I think I'm a bit dyslexic, so when I come to put the, the actual text bits in the game, oh, I'll okay, probably yeah. write it all in wrong. Yeah, when, that's fine, though. You can do your... The game must be a yeah, nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> Like, you know what it is? Whenever you choose, you talk as that as that character. So... David, you can do your own text, like your own talking. That'd be great. 
You do your own script. Zach can do his own script. I'll do my script. So they really feel like they're Ooh, you. Someone's just said that they won something. I don't know. I'll have a look. <laughs> Who was it? So was it someone um, answer the three questions? No, no one's answered the three questions. Oh, I guess you guys keep the book then. I've already got a copy. I bought a copy. I think the answers to the first one. <laughs> we got two messages on the Twitch stream. And uh, they're both they're both spam. Is it? Buy games for cheap or earn money with them. Check out this forum thread if you're interested. Yeah, spam. Spam, 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 spam. I'm going spam. to have a look at that. Oh, no, I've already seen that. I, t- I think my dyslexia is getting worse. It was like, yeah. check, out this, check out this cancelled Sega 32X X-Men game at... And in my head, it was like, check out this cancelled Sega 32X He-Man game. He-Man? <laughs> the 32X and then the X-Men. Oh, okay. I just automatically took the X out. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, just, no, no. I'm thick, right. <laughs> so I think we'll end it there. It's been another one. Down. So again, thank you guys. It's been our 100th show. Well, technically it's not, but... So, it's 101. Because nah, I think I think I'll just put like, tomorrow. I'll put part one up. I'll edit that down to about two hours. Then I'll edit this one down to about two hours and put this up as part two. So they're both 100. So I think 100 and 100.5. Mm. The amazing Amiga book is out now from Funstock. Or or the hundredth podcast extra bit. <laughs> no, episode one starting again. One. Buy it now. Cannon fodder. Signed by John Hare. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, you can get the... And Postal 2. Postal 2 is awesome. Get the Sensible Software book, which is an absolute brilliant read. It goes through all the old history. Again, signed by John Hare. It says, stay sensible. Stay sensible. Or, or buy Postal 2 and Murder Innocence. Or, you can... Buy Postal 3. You can... <laughs> We don't speak of personal free. Did you, did t- David, have you told Eddie what the guy sent you? Oh, yeah, this will be a funny story for the podcast, so we'll keep this in. I, where, the, where did it go? There he is, Michael. Michael was on yesterday, and I basically just wanted to say thank you for coming on. So I just sent him saying, I just wanted to say thanks for coming on, and that the postal DLC were the most requested codes throughout the night. I'm even stupidly thinking about buying Postal 3 just to see how bad it really can be. But again, thanks so much. It was great to actually talk with someone that said what they thought and not just bullshit. So I sent that to him, and I don't know how uh, I don't know how long it was later, but he, he replied saying, "You're welcome and thanks for having me. Do not ever buy Postal 3. Here is a key." <laughs> so he sent me a code for Postal 3, and me buying it. Love it. So, <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't do not, want that code, if you didn't do want that code, do give not it spend to me. fifteen quid. No, I, I, want, I, I was so going to buy the game. He doesn't even want though. He doesn't want the money. Yeah, <laughs> he got you pay, play it for free. Yeah, I mean, as he said, they don't. I mean, that Easter egg in that Postal Two DLC. Have you seen it? Yeah. Where like you walk into the room and it's one of the developers of Postal Three wearing a Postal Three T-shirt. That's hung himself. Yeah. You know, it's just. <laughs> it's just not good. 
It's so funny. So, thank you, everyone. I mean, I, I've done a miss people out. I'm sorry if I do, but thank you to the Retro Asylum for sending us a thank you uh, message. Thanks to Justin. Thank you to Conte the Hero for making our brilliant intro song. Thank you, I think it's Austin who made the amazing Android game, which is Retaliate. Um, thanks to... You see, I've, I can't bring nothing up on the PC, otherwise it'll interrupt everything. But thank you to everyone who supports us. It means the world to us. And again, thank you, you two, for coming on, giving us your, basically your full weekend. It's been amazing. Thank you to Michael from Running With Scissors. Thank you to John Hare. Two amazing guys to speak to. Thank you to Geek Apocalypse, which... It was a bit spoiled the way it sort of ended up coming on, but we'll try and get. I'll try and edit a bit of the interviewing with him. And yeah, it's been me, David, and Zach. It's been a good one. I feel like three wonderful guests, which is excellent. So uh, yeah, good to be here as always. And Eddie. Yay! Yeah, <laughs> episode one hundred. Whoop whoop. So again. What are we doing for two hundred. From the bottom of my heart, I'll probably be fucking hanging myself. <laughs> if he gets that far, then I'm just, gonna just watch it. Just watch wow. it. You see my little feet twitching. It's like, <laughs> right? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yep. So I just wanted to add this on at the end of the podcast. We are giving away this. Commodore Amiga book by Sam Dyer from, I think, Bitmap Books. And you can get hold of it from funstock.co.uk. And you can get 5% off with our discount code 1UP, all one word, all uppercase. But to get the book itself for free, then we have the three questions that John Hare gave us. So just either tweet us or email us at ougofficial at live.co.uk. I think they're the easiest ways to get in touch with us. And so basically the questions are, number one, name the sorcerer in the first game we made at LT Software. Number two, name the cat in Whizball and Wizkid. And number three, name the yellow king in Megalomania. So that's three questions. Name the sorcerer in the first game we made at LT Software. Name the cat in Whizball and Wizkid. And finally, name the Yellow King in Megalomania. So thank you, John, for coming on, giving your time for us. It was amazing. Always a pleasure speaking with you. And I hope you enjoyed this. Now, these podcasts, the last two, they've not been a good barometer of what we normally do at One Gaming. We normally try and keep it within an hour, an hour and a half sort of time. So these ones have been like double the length, but we thought for the 100th specials, we would get some decent people on to chat with. And I, I believe that's what we have done. So th- thank you from everyone at the One Up Gaming team. So thank you. Goodbye. Hey guys, Justin here. I just wanted to say that I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about you a lot. Yes, you in particular, in that way. And I wanted to say, I think you're great. I've always said that about you. And I was wondering, if you think we're great, if you could give us a quick rating on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. It would really, really help us out in that, you know, podcasty sort of way. And if you're feeling particularly festive, perhaps even a little saucy, 
maybe stop by our Patreon page at www.patreon.com O-U-G and see if you can't slip a few bucks our way. After all, every little penny or whatever space money they use in Europe helps out the show. Thanks for listening. OUG Gaming will always be free, but with your support, we can always move forward and always be better.